And you already know what time it is every Tuesday night at 8, another edition of the MCW cast. I'm Legacy MCW announcer, Larry Legend. I'm Dan McDevitt. And I'm Tara. Welcome to the cast. And welcome back, Dan. Thank you. My sabbatical is over. <laughs> Would you go on a pilgrimage? Yeah. Oh, you yeah. look like you got a little bit of a tan. <laughs> well, that was from yard work on Sunday. <laughs> yeah. You know, that wasn't in wasn't any any special trips just pulling weeds in the yard yeah and being out there under that sun for just a little bit over this weekend it was a real scorcher mm-hmm. oh my god it was brutal mm-hmm. it was freaking brutal <laughs> with so. all the cicadas for our non-maryland oh, listeners we are in god. the throes of cicada season here so there is lots of cicada fornication taking place at very loud decibels so i don't know about you all but my yard is very, very loud. <laughs> and there's a lot of good cicada recipes on the internet. There are. I really want to get Try them. One? But the the tri- well, I found people were selling them online. You could just buy the kind, and then you could cook them yourself. So that you freeze them. But you need the larva stage. So as soon as they emerge from their shell, you need it when they're like kind of white colored and wiggly, not when they have their wings Mm -hmm. so you need to collect those and then freeze them to humanely kill them and then you can do with them what you would like you know deep fry them or whatever i'll pass but i just feel like that's a little bit too much work because i don't have time to be gathering up you know certain life stages of the cicada but you can buy them on the internet that are already in the appropriate life form when i was younger i think one time they were around when I was like 10 or 11 and there mm-hmm. was a guy in a lived in our neighborhood in a wheelchair and um, he would just bite them <gasps> and um, like all the kids thought it was the greatest thing that we just pick them up and bring them to him and he'd like brush them and just oh my god you know and yeah. we and he would just eat for hours and we would just we thought it was the greatest thing to just they are high protein and low carb yeah yeah, and I think that traumatized me from a young age with cicadas. I don't, I couldn't. Now you see recipes. I don't know. I'll pass on the cicada recipes. Yeah, I think I was a little bit mm-hmm. younger than you when they were around. Uh, not seventeen years ago. That would have been two thousand and four. But when I was, you know, a little one, um, and they they were exciting back then mm-hmm. to me to catch them because I was mischievous and always catching things. My parents <coughs> wouldn't let me have pets. When I was a little a little one, so I would catch things and make them mm-hmm. my pets. And I just remember at one point I caught as many as I possibly could fit in a jar to the point that the ones on the bottom were oh. literally crushed by the ones on top. And all I would do was just fill the, the jar up with mm-hmm. as much grass as I could and watch them just devour the grass in like wow. really, really quick fashion. And it was just so fun and amazing to me. And then I think I poured them all out and stomped on them. Really <laughs> Probably. Yeah, you know. indispensable resource millions millions of these i didn't know well you know they say a one acre plot has 1.5 million cicadas on it so and i didn't realize that this was some sort of unique thing to the northeast like i just thought the whole world erupted in swarms of cicadas when i was a kid like and i remember the last time they were here i was working at a summer camp and the kids would just take butterfly nets and just scoop them through the air and Mm -hmm. it was it was there were a lot. <laughs> and, of course, they were like little kids, so they were fascinated by this. They thought it was great. But anyway, so here it is, cicada season. we got a, probably four to six more weeks of this left. So Great. Yes. How exciting. You know it's only the guys that are making the noise. Cause they that gotta makes put, sense. they got to put yeah. on a show because they're attracting a mate. Uh-huh. So they uh, have to be all loud. So it's 
I don't know. Leave it Must to be. us guys. To be <laughs> right? All show the off. Noise, so <laughs> right. The show off. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, um, back to the podcast. Uh, make sure you're checking us out on all of our major podcast platforms. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, Breaker, Radio Public, and CastBox. That's right. And, and for all of those platforms, make sure that you subscribe. It's one thing yeah, to be able to listen to us on mm-hmm. them, but subscribe so that we can get our algorithm up there and continue foraging the path that we are. Impressive numbers so far. You know, um, mm-hmm. we, we've got a lot of people that listen and enjoy, and we want that to continue on into episode 21. But this is episode 20. So from all of us, thank you for, for tuning in to the MCW cast faithfully every Tuesday at 8. And don't forget about subscribing to all of our pat. Pod, podcast platforms out there and sharing and liking the streams if you're watching on social media that's right and if you're feeling generous buy us some coffee <laughs> at buymeacoffee.com uh, back wait buy me a coffee slash mcw cast sorry i always get that wrong but uh we've got that up on our screen so you can do that and thank you to our supporters who have been with us for 20 episodes now now last week we had Kakoa in studio. The last it was great to catch up with him. MCW champion Kakoa. It was great to hear yeah. his story. I know. And congrats to his new daughter and his new life with his wife, Sammy, down in Florida. So it was great that he was able to come up here and drop in for the night. It sure was. And while I'm disappointed, I missed that episode. Not as much as I'm disappointed that I missed two episodes ago with the Playboy Dad. <laughs> oh, my goodness. We've already decided we're bringing him back. Like yeah. We had oh, yeah, much we more to. to talk about we with him, and we didn't to get to about. it. He has way more to talk he about. He has a lot. He's got too much to talk about. And so we've got more to back. listen to out of the legendary icon, Hollywood, Playboy, <laughs> Pretty Boy, Bob Star. We had so Star. many questions for him, now, too. That was the one yeah. thing. Yeah, the response for Bob was overwhelming. Was it really? No, we had a ton of questions for him. We had a Bob, he's done a lot, man. He's done he I mean, you know, like he was in that era of of doing jobs. Um man, he did it for years, you know. He was he was in the you know, we joke about Bob and you know what I mean, Bob. He um he Bob's one of them guys in wrestling that's like a character that like there's only one Bob star. Yeah. <laughs> and um like Dennis Stamp like a Dennis Stamp, mm-hmm. like an Iron Sheik, like so many yeah. guys that are just so unique. Unique, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so very unique that it's like, man, there's there's only one of that guy, and and Bob's like our local guy like mm-hmm. that. Yep. And uh, but man, he hundreds of of like squash matches he did, mm-hmm. and the, you know all all of the names probably in the late eighties and nineties, most of the nineties, yeah, he was he probably in the ring him. with. Yeah. You mm-hmm. know, um I- even if only for a couple minutes, um, you know, on a Saturday morning quick match, he Mr. was, World was in the ring with him. You know, when when those type <laughs> of matches, you know, um when those type of like enhancement matches, as they were called, happen. They don't happen at all anymore, rarely. Um, Bob was like one of the main guys that you saw on TV almost every week. You know, it's true. And I just saw recently, not too long ago, there was a WWE show where zombies were featured. Um, Mm. I don't even remember. I don't want to dwell on it that much. But the point that I wanted to make is that one of the zombies was Scott Too Hot Taylor. And I remember that Scott Too Hot Taylor, Scotty Too Hotty, Mm -hmm. for those that don't know, was one of the first enhancement guys that they used on the original Raw uh, from the Manhattan oh, yeah. Center, and I, I just thought to myself, isn't he a coach or something, a trainer at NXT? Whatever he is, <sighs> from jobbing to a check for life, mm-hmm. he has essentially been an employee of WWE 
since '93, off and on. Yeah, and that is one hell of a tenure. So, to, so speaking of that whole segment with the zombies, did you watch the zombie movie with Batista on Netflix? No, I don't. I didn't. I, didn't. I thought it was good. Um, it was a. Have you guys? Have you watched it? No. That that was plugging. That that. I guess that was. That's the what I heard. Plugging. Yeah, I movie. heard that that was like that. That was the deal. Like it was mm. supposed to. It, it was good. It was. Um. It was a different take on zombies. Like they were. They were smart. Like some of them were smart. Like you know, in a lot of zombie movies, they're just like dumb, and mindless, they just try yeah. to kill you. These yeah. like could think, and there was like a leader. It was a different take on zombies that I thought. I actually thought it was really. I thought it was pretty good. Like Upon I, your recommendation, I'm gonna watch it because I am a big zombie, a zombie movie, a big horror fan. Um, but um, I don't do Netflix. I don't. I only no? did Netflix when I had my Wii up in Adam. And since I don't live in New York anymore, and cable and all that stuff is more affordable now that I'm a Marylanderer again. And there and there was irony in that too. Like I and I saw like a Chris Jericho tweet, wasn't it? Like oh two yeah, weeks before that, like W. WWE made the comment like they set the business back 30 years AEW with their blood and guts and then they have right, zombies they come have out zombies. it was a yeah. little volley um yeah, yeah WWE was like you set the business back 30 years because I guess Jericho took an insane fall mm-hmm. uh, very similar to the types of insane falls that we've seen Shane McMahon do several times and Mick Foley in my mm-hmm. estimation originated uh, you know, they were like, you set the business back 30 years. Yeah. And then they said, then zombies, and then zombies come, out. come out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And zombies that everyone was selling for. I heard that one of the big things was that the commentators were scared. And no, really? <laughs> oh, yeah. I, did you see it? Did you see it? I watched little clips afterwards. It was I bad. Mean, well, when I first saw people posting about it, I was <laughs> like, oh, that seems kind of fun because I like zombies too. And I was like, oh, okay. That's not that bad. But I listened to a little bit of it that people were sharing. And I was like. So we're pretending they're real? Like, yeah. That was really what got me. I was like, oh. So that's the thing, Tara. I guess when I first heard about it, I thought, oh, they were kind of like background scenery yeah. to set the tone for them. No, There's a, they no, no, they were. They put the zombies <laughs> over. Yeah. And that was, that was and, and rightfully so, because a lot of those zombies were comprised of a lot of indie darlings that had, uh, <laughs> had gotten their picture taken with the property of World Wrestling Entertainment t-shirt on not too long ago. Well, apparently it was, I, I read that it was like a big, like I guess that zombie movie because Batista was in it, I was reading that it. it was like a big payday for WWE. It was, and that's what it for is. the promotion. Was this of that one movie. of the movies they produced? Under no, their it umbrella? wasn't. It wasn't it theirs, wasn't but I, I think like one of like the promotion company or something. What I was reading because Batista was in it, they figured to go to the WWE audience. Like they, like I heard it was like millions. I'm sure um, for WWE to just. And to, I'm sure it worked. Know. I'm sure people are watching it. I want to watch it. We're talking about it right now, you <laughs> right. know. So. Well, I'd rather watch the zombie movie than go back and watch the whole match again. I think. Yeah, I want to watch the I've zombie movie regardless of whether they would have they would have attacked somebody it. in a WWE <laughs> ring. I think I would rather do that. Yeah, yeah, because the zombies that were attacking people at the WWE show were not the same zombies that were in. In the movie, yeah. right? No, they and were, they were they the, were following they were the, the rules of a lumberjack match. They were the BWO zombies. Lumberjacks wouldn't be attacking people, so <laughs> right. I don't know. Well, anyway, <laughs> all right. So, well, back to other matches. Yeah, back to um, reality. Our flashback Friday this week is Christopher Daniels versus AJ Styles right here in MCW um, during the phenomenal Final Four in 2006. I completely forgot the name of that show, but I remember being at the show and you announced that night. So, so you know what? I remember that was like the second or third show back. Back, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Yeah. I remember that that was the first time I ever got the honor of announcing AJ Styles, Mm -hmm. but I had totally forgotten about that show. Those were some wild days, I feel (laughs) feel like, because we were doing a lot. We had just come back. 
We had packed that North Point flea market. The fire exit announcement started around that time. So those were some really just like... All of a sudden, fun it was times. over. Yeah, yeah, fun times, stressful times, and I, I, I don't remember that the show was called the. I did not remember the name either. Yeah. I had no idea. So, but I remember the night, and I remember that Matt. Like I remember a lot about that. I just had no idea we had a show called that. <laughs> yeah, so, so that's our our flashback Friday. Uh, remember, like and and uh, share that off of the YouTube and. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we need to take a, a, a brief pause before we get on to our, our guest. Yeah, who's our, our guest? guest this week? Oh, man, I'm so excited. Please just punch. I'm not going to call him by what I originally announced him as, but I will say in the house with us, Pat Brink. Genesis. Well, that's what I wanted to say, but I thought he would no. throttle me. No. Like, yeah, that's That was his deal. Genesis is what I know that's him and right. love him as. The yep. first... The first, uh, you know, moniker he had uh, when I met him. MCWOG. OG indeed. From the Michael's 8th Avenue days. All right. We'll talk to him as soon as we come right back. With us in studio, Pat Brink, Genesis. Thank you for joining us here on the MCW cast. Thanks for having me. I can't uh, I can't promise I'll be half as fun as Bob Starr or have any of the stories, but, um, you you know, it's great to be here. You'd have to have a hell of a career to be able to have as many stories as Bob, but I think that yours rivals his as far as Maryland wrestling history is concerned, and that's what we want to talk to you about tonight. Uh, you're being kind there. Well, <laughs> Pat, you and I go way back. My first show here at MCW was your first show at MCW, actually, live Oh, you guys had the same day? Same. So, so, yeah, with me helping out, I had come down to the school, but the first time that Mark was like, you know, this is when you're going to be working uh, was the October the 30th show right after 9-11. Um, at Michael's 8th Avenue, a couple pinpoints that I'll never was forget. Was that our first show after 9-11? That was our first show. It was the Firefighters mm-hmm. Benefit Show, yep. and it was the show that Axel, Axel returned. I think he saved you mm-hmm. um, from Bruiser and, and, and Yeah, from um, mm-hmm. Redneck Billy Redwood, and he came out and saved you. That was a pinpoint. And also, yep. your mm-hmm. debut against the Black... What was he called? Were Black? you supposed to be on the show at Fort Meade then that got canceled because of 9-11? I, I think that that mm-hmm. was where I was supposed to mm-hmm. debut, and then it got pushed to Michael's because of because of the cancellation. Do you remember that? I remember. I remember, I remember it all. That vaguely, that's when I first landed. I first <clears> came. My around. My brain was. I, I'm, what I'll never forget about that. That's what makes me think of like nine eleven. Like when people t- obviously it's a big event in our country, but when I and people say like, you know, like you know, people say like, what were you doing on nine eleven? Like. I was arguing with the army base about why the show was being canceled that Saturday. <laughs> That's what I was doing. And I was saying, like, and I and me and Mark, I'll never forget, like, I, when I, like, like, what was wrong with me? That, like, I was, I was, I was, I was arguing with the base, and they're like, this show isn't happening Saturday. And I'm like, there's, like, 800 tickets sold. <laughs> we have a war games. Yeah, it was a real I, I remember saying to the Maybe guy on the, the base, title. the guy on the base, we've spent a year building up this match. <laughs> you know, and I mean, really, it's ridiculous to think about. Like, but I was like in my early twenties, like the significance of nine eleven, this terrorist, and I couldn't believe that the army base was canceling our show. 
Yeah, well, for the weekend. Like when I look back now, like what the hell was I thinking? What was wrong with me? Your but scope that's what, was just a little bit more narrow. You were yeah. a business person. And but it was like the terrorist attack was in. in you know, New York. yeah. What did you I don't right. think people fully yeah. understood the extent that we no. were going to be shut down because right. I got married um, two weeks late, not even two weeks later. And I remember a couple of days after that it was happened. All that time too. Yeah, yeah. I remember wow. a couple of days after it happened. My florist called me and said, "Hey, just so you know." You might have to have the orange daylilies from my backyard. And I went, why? And she's like, because the planes can't, like, the flowers don't grow here. <laughs> like, they, they bring them in. And I was like, oh. And I just really didn't think about it. And then next thing I knew, people were canceling. Uh, my out-of-town people who were flying in were canceling and I, because they couldn't get a flight. And I was like, wow. So I don't know that everybody knew at that moment. Like, when it happened, my I was, I was doing landscaping, and my client, my customer, was working in the towers. And so I was really just thinking, oh, my gosh, is my customer dead? And so I wasn't thinking that. So I don't know that everybody thought the wide-reaching effects that it had. So, like, you being worried about the, you know, the show going actually yeah. seems like a fairly normal response. <laughs> For someone that was so consumed. With you know. <laughs> I mean, I remember it well, too. I think we ended up going to a show somewhere that weekend that didn't get canceled right after 9-11, and you had kind of rewound, you know, wound down from that and understood it at that point. But I'm sure. I was still I'm sure on September <laughs> 12th it was a different, uh, it was a different, you know. Ball. right. Yeah, yeah, it was it a big was, show. <clears throat> you started training, I believe, Pat, right before I did, like two months or so before I did, I think. No, I had I had actually started in um, my training really took off in probably January of 2000. And um, I signed up at the school in like 99, yeah, but okay, really so got, you know, more. made a plan. Okay. And I started training in January of 2000 and in like August that year or September. That's when I came, was when August. When came in, Got I it. tore my ACL and my right knee. That's as they right. Were, oh, I forgot yeah. about that. We, I was getting ready to start on shows then. I thought And so. I tore my ACL and I was, you know, out for nine months with that. Mm-hmm. And then I came back um, to training right at this Ricky Steamboat camp we did. Right. Which that was like his first thing in the business in like eight years at the time. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, from the Steamboat camp on and just it ended up being October of that's right. Know, I, That's I, we, right. See, we were we've we originated a lot of things. We were one of the first people that did one of those camps. Yeah. The like well, that. now anybody can have now, a seminar. I mean, now, now you, you have a minute in the business, right. and all of a sudden oh, you're God, running a seminar. Don't get me started on that. <laughs> yeah. Right. But we did great ones. Like I yeah, remember the Steamboat like, one was fantastic. Yoko. That was yeah. just an idea I had with Ricky Steamboat. Like, I talked to him, I just wanted to do something, and he wanted to do something different than an autograph signing, and I remember, yeah, now they're everywhere, but that was, that was like original back in the day. Mm -hmm. And then it it culminated with Dan having a match with Steamboat. Oh, yeah. You know, the (laughs) second day, uh, Steamboat did the, they did the Randy Savage Steamboat finish from WrestleMania 3. I remember it vividly, man. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It was a good time, It was. Yeah, Yeah, we went through the You worked with Steamboat. Oh, yeah, I totally crapped my pants, man. (laughs) Because yeah, I had been telling eight him, minutes, I think, yeah, yeah, I had been telling him like how big of a mark I was for him growing up when I was talking to him, like booking him and all that, and then uh, he's like, really, this and that, and then he remember he like he was he looked around and he said to me like, there are are there any cameras recording this? And I was like, no, and then all of a sudden he like cut loose. I guess I don't remember why like he didn't want anything recording at the time, but then all of a sudden he's like, let's go and. <laughs> we just started doing the Steamboat Savage match. Yeah, was it was like, a spur of the moment. Like, you you know, he, he called him on and called him in, and, like, Steamboat called the whole thing on the fly, man. Yeah, and just Ooh, called amazing. it. That's amazing. What a yeah. moment. Yeah. I was a little aroused. 
I, mean, I wouldn't blame you. <laughs> During that, like, yeah. oh my god. Now, now I'm like thinking about how long ago that was. I'm like, man, that's so old now. Well, let's not dwell on it. It was, it was a long time. It was time. 20 years ago. Yeah. Time ago. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. yeah. God. Well, speaking of a long time ago, let's talk a little bit about your uh, how you got involved, or what what led you to a career of being a professional wrestler. What oh. got you into it when you were younger? Oh my gosh, man! So you know, my father watched wrestling a lot when I was a kid, and I just got I was captivated and, and moved by it by the guys, by the you know performances, the you know by the things that as a kid that grabbed me that you just don't realize. Like it just it just had me, man, and I just it was an escape for me. We were like dirt poor living in Baltimore City row homes of row homes got picked on in a lot of neighborhoods I lived in and things like that and um it was just my escape man and I just you know fell in love with it very very young and um you know as I came to bone breakers really the thing for me was as as I as a kid as I envisioned trying to get into wrestling I envisioned like getting into wrestling as more like a referee or something like that because oh, wow. I was I was actually a small kid. When I turned, you know, 16 years old, I was like five foot three and 110 pounds. I was what you call like a late bloomer, <laughs> very, <laughs> very, very late, late bloomer, which I think has kind of helped me at this stage of life. But, you know, back then it was it was brutal. And then it just, uh, you know, I started growing out of nowhere from, you know, the beginning point of my junior year of high school to the end of high school. I grew like seven inches. And then, you know, it just continued to taper up until I was like 24. I think I remember even being 24 and telling people I was six foot two and I was standing next to a guy that was six two. And he was like, no, you got me by a few inches. You know? And I was <laughs> yeah. like, measured myself and I was like six five. And I was like, oh, well, then I'm six five, you know. So um, was, was there any in particular uh, match that you can remember? Like a lot of the times we have guests on and it's always family. A lot of the reoccurring mm -hmm. themes that we hear is it's like my dad. This is or, a family activity. Right. 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 Yeah, it was for me is, too. It's tied with family. But is there any one match you can remember where you're like, OK, I'm hooked to this or any one character that really like kind of really sees young Pat and yeah the first guy that I it was it was really two guys but it was uh, Lex Luger and it was Sting and um, I was really grabbed Luger was fresh into the horseman I mean it was a young kid and okay. he just looked like a pro wrestler you know what people you know thought back then was a look of a pro wrestler and I was just I was just sort of captivated by the you know by by the torture rack by his whole angle by watching him get kicked out of the horseman and turn baby face and you know sting came along and and had his feud with the horseman um and then there was like the ultimate warrior you know um ultimate warrior was my guy i remember thinking the first time i saw ultimate warrior he looks like you know sting and luger kind of rolled into one <laughs> and, uh, uh, that yeah. was that he was, was my guy favorite. too pat yeah. that i think was, he was i think he was it. i yeah. think yeah warrior was oh, guy sting man. and yeah. warrior for yeah. me so but that a and e documentary on the warrior on the ultimate warrior mm -hmm. <clears throat> It was really good, but what, for someone that was a humongous Sting and Ultimate Warrior um, fan, you know, huge, God, they were terrible. <laughs> In that documentary they showed and Sting talked about how bad they were when they went to, like, Memphis, and they showed their matches. Yeah. And they were awful. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, they were, like, you see bad indie wrestlers today, like, on Facebook and YouTube. Mm -hmm. Holy cow. Sting right. and the Ultimate Warrior in their first matches rivaled any 
any terrible independent wrestler that you see out there today. <laughs> so they were terrible. Was like this you like an authorized uh, yeah, yeah, documentary? A&E. It was done through A&E. So like they, but they, I don't know if WWE had that early, that Memphis footage. I don't know if they own that, but they got it. But like even Sting was joking about like, we were terrible. Yeah. <laughs> but they showed clips of the matches. And they were really bad. I mean, s- some of them were back then. I mean, you know, there was but that, you didn't that realize, look. There well, was you the know big, I mean? like, giant, yeah, muscle-bound guys, you know, that you, looked good. You have to good, watch the documentary just for that like, couple minutes where they well. show it. And you're it, like, oh, my God, these guys. weird because the business was protected back then. Yeah. But yet, it's almost like if you watch it now with our eyes now, you're like, no wonder people didn't believe you. Yeah. Yeah. No yeah. wonder <laughs> you know, it was a work, man. No wonder people made fun of you for watching that stuff. I can't even remember his name, man, but there was this guy. I want to say in continental wrestling or somewhere he's a big tall guy and he had his face painted green um oh, i know his name and it's just totally the missing slipping. link yes and, yeah. and i'm like dude it's just you watch some of that footage and it's like how are you trying to pass that off well, you, you guys were going to bars and fighting people to because you wanted people to believe it was real and that's what they did though that's like yeah. in the watts territories oh, yeah. and all that that's what they did you know and watts um Bill Watts's rule, like if you lost in a, if you lost a bar fight, you were fired. It didn't matter. Yep. Like that was all real. Mm-hmm. I talked to Jim Ross. Like that was all real. Like if you if you went and got in a bar fight with somebody that a mark, well, and it was you, like, and you lost a bar fight, you were fired. Well, it was like an extension of the carnival days. There would be marks in the crowd that the shooter <clears throat> would be able to stretch. But if someone really volunteered, like, hey, I can take that guy, and he got up there mm-hmm. on stage and embarrassed the actual shooter. Fire him and bring the, the local boy. Hey, you want to make a couple right. bucks on the road with you? We're going right. to take this this show on the road. Yeah, I guess that was their version of social media, how like they got word to spread or got people over. Yeah, like, word of know, mouth. Yeah, word of mouth. Well, you know, like publicity the, like, sells tickets, whether yeah. it's good or bad, you know? Yeah. So. Like the legend of Haku, right? Yeah, biting the ha- guy's uh, nose all, all off. All the legend, <laughs> of, you know, people still today, like talk, they talk about Haku being the toughest guy, all those like stories of just him killing people in bars yeah are just you know that of legend so now other than sting and luger was there someone like that you tried to emulate like as you decided hey i'm going to be a wrestler was there someone that you were looking to for like your inner inspiration yeah the main guy when i decided to get into business the main guy i had become you know quite a fan of was scott hall like specifically like his razor ramon character. i remember you saying that you know i was yeah. fascinated with uh you know like the scarface movie as a kid uh-huh. and um and i knew his character was directly from that like i knew it as a kid but i you know it was confirmed by him in interviews much later and uh so i was just i really he was he was my guy and it was like one of those things that as i was breaking into the business to find out like yes this guy's actually a great worker too you know because there are guys that you found that you love him as a kid Ultimate and then warrior. as you come in the business you find out man he, he wasn't that great of a worker and yeah. and right. paul was revered at 16 know? years yeah. old so. i would have told you the ultimate warrior was the greatest professional wrestler that ever lived now i'm like 47 <laughs> years old i'm like mm. you know like yeah oh, <laughs> i have him tattooed on my arm for god's yeah. sake and I, <laughs> there's you know, some re- questionable things he stands for I re- recently saw something and they covered um, that in the documentary yeah. his wife did you know yeah. i recently saw something from jim ross when they were he was talking asked about saying the greatest wrestler of all time and he talked about how subjective it is he said greatest by what term in ring performance dollars drawn at the box office etc cetera, etc cetera. so theoretically warrior is one of the all-time oh god you have a tattoo yes. that's what know. i was thinking I, I in my head yeah. i was yeah, like by yeah by dollars drawn and, that, and, no. and at the end of the day in a business from a business standpoint, greatest of all time sport, 
Herbert. Maybe, maybe not the greatest of all time, but probably he's up in the, the conversation. Yeah, he's in the conversation. With money, there's yeah. money drawn, you know? Yeah, like, top yeah. 10, probably. Yeah, they yeah. put and, his face on everything. Again, you look at his documentary. He may have been even higher, but just, man, he yep. just, I didn't realize how many times he got fired and Vince fired him for years at a time. And they were all just, they could have been good money making years mm-hmm. that just went by that he could have, he could have been even more in the conversation than he was had he just kind of, I guess, not had his issues that, that are, you know, yeah, and that kind of created his legacy. Yeah. And then all those years later, he gave that speech on Raw and died the next day. Mm. Yeah, that's crazy. That was sad, man. I know. Yeah. I remember that. We were like, out the night before. Yeah. I, I remember watching yeah. that, and I was we like, why is he so red? There's something wrong with him. Tara, 100% yeah. now when you watch that back, you're like, he's I said it at on. the time. Could, I could said it. it. I remember you it. Could tell, yeah. And I, I mean, said it. <laughs> like, yeah. There's something wrong with him. His, and his wife goes into actually real detail of like, that you know when they were in the hotel and he you know was his wife goes into detail about how they were in the hotel and then he said something's not right and then the daughters and she was telling the daughters and basically he collapsed right there and she said he she couldn't catch him it was sad like she was like he was just like a big oak tree and she tried to catch him and he just fell and Mm. you know it was kind of like that like yeah something's wrong It, it was sad it was it was pretty emotional, like and and the daughters talking about that the last couple of days and that speech, and it was yeah. good. I thought it was really good. Well, he got the kind of closure that most people don't get, you know, and so that was good that he got it, you know. Yeah, and yeah. it was so the whole arc of the whole story of that is so weird because they even like his wife and kids talked about how much, like he was personally hurt by like the the dvd that they you know they i I didn't realize that the dvd was intentionally put out as a hit piece on. oh god yeah the self-destruction of the ultimate warrior after the college after he had that college talk that that you're Mm -hmm. talking about where he said the questionable to distance Mm -hmm. themselves Mm -hmm. from him because Mm -hmm. it was people were like you know all the wwf's ultimate warrior so they intentionally did that to distance themselves from him and he and they talked about how much that hurt him so like Mm -hmm. this was the whole coming back and came and full circle like, yeah it came full circle. I, i've had people ask me do you regret getting your tattoo and i was like no because the reason why i got it is because so for those of you um, of course i'm wearing a long sleeve shirt today but i have uh, ultimate warrior tattoo it's a starry night and in the background it says always believe which was his um you know whatever his whole little organization that he did he used mantra. it on his website mantra the, yeah mm-hmm. that's it motto whatever and for me even though I don't agree with some of a lot of the stuff he said later in life, he was that person that made me believe that I could do this, that made me believe that, you know, there was something special about this. So, like, when I think back to, like, what got me going and interested in this business when I was a kid, it was that music hitting and wherever I was in the house, I'd tear into the living room and I'd be there completely enthralled. So for me, it was a, you know, I was paying homage and respect to the way I felt inside. So Mm -hmm. even though I don't agree with a lot of the stuff that he later said, you know, I still don't regret it because, you know, that's what it meant to me. It doesn't mean I believe everything that he said or you're a fan of the ultimate warrior not jim helwig right exactly yeah, that's not the warrior yeah not what yeah. he changed his name to later when he became yeah, yeah, just yeah, warrior yeah, yeah. yeah right. i'm not well, like i'm not legal thing anyway right just, right yeah. 
Yeah, so I mean, it was good. It was worth the watch. Yeah. I think I'm going to give it a whirl. Uh, if you want something worth the watch of his, it's like highly entertaining. There's a video on YouTube of him doing some personal training with these rock musicians, and if you Google it, you'll probably find it where he wakes them. He's like brought in for this reality show they're trying to pitch, where he wakes this band up at 5 a.m. because of um, the whole point of fitness being important for you know musicians too. And it is unbelievably, I won't give you any details of it, one of the funniest things I've ever watched. And now i got to go look that you up. Have to, you <laughs> have to look that up. It, right. Yeah. So, wow. um, But, yeah, he, he was my guy, man. Him, uh, Scott Hall, Lex Luger, Sting. And then it just, you know, as the business continued to evolve, as I was getting in the business, it was so hot with the NWO and the Attitude Era. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so it was just like became when they asked who you like, it, it was just everybody, you yeah. know. And, you know, the longer you're in the business, the more you start picking stuff from everyone. You know, I became um, the guy for me, you know, once I got in the business became Triple H. It was just like, man, he you really realize like once you start seeing the business, how good he really is, you know, and um, he was the game. (laughs) I was such a big fan of the Ultimate Warrior that (laughs) and such a big mark for him that when. He regained the Intercontinental title from Rick Rude at SummerSlam. <laughs> yeah. I was watching it on vacation in my parents' condo down on, on the on the beach mm-hmm. that they got with my family and I had talked my mom into ordering it. And that was like middle of the pay per view. And when he ran when he won and beat Rick Rude and regained the Intercontinental title, I ran out of the condo and ran down the beach and Just never came back to watch the rest <laughs> right of the pay per view. Because, because nothing else mattered. And <laughs> yeah. I was yelling. I don't even care. I no. was yelling at people on the beach the Ultimate Warrior, the Intercontinental Champion again. And I never came back, which I think it was like Zeus. It and was Savage. Hogan and Hogan and uh, Beefcake versus yeah. Zeus. Yeah, that was amazing. I, don't, Summer I can't tell you because I, I didn't watch the rest of the pay per view. That's so funny. That's and I just ran. That's how much of a big mark I was for the Warrior. That wow. nothing else mattered yeah. at that. I think we all had those markout moments with uh, our favorites growing up. Um, that's interesting for me to hear that Scott Hall had such an influence on you because if I remember correctly, didn't you used to use a version of the Razor's Edge yeah. as a part of your repertoire? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did. I used the ra- you know the Razor's Edge was going to be my finish from the beginning. That was just sort of what I thought. And I think when I first debuted, I had this sit down choke slam that I used um, that Earl wanted me to use because he knew like you're going to probably work some guys you can't give the Razor's Edge to. And then later down the road, as I'm like, no, I'm gonna get myself to where I can give it to everyone. You know, it it was yeah, that was it. I used the the fallaway slam slam too. Fallaway slam slam too. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, we're gonna take a quick break again. And yes, but when we come back, we want to hear a little bit more about your time in MCW. Once you made your debut, what you did here, then you left here, and uh, so you'll fill us in and give us the recap on that period of your life. So stay with us. We'll be right back. All right, and we are back with Genesis Pat Brink. Um, <laughs> you mentioned Earl the Pearl. Um, that's kind of who. That's did did we start? Did I start you? Is that who we? Yeah, we started was, you guys. Yeah. Like your first. Did we yep. put you with the Holy Rollers right you, away? You or? did. I was initially we had this debut for me by myself that was going to happen at Fort Meade. And then from the time the Fort Meade show got canceled until the Michael show, it changed to, you know, the name changed to Genesis and being with the Holy Rollers and Platinum Nat. Wow. I don't even remember. See, I don't remember. So many of these casts 
a going back like <laughs> yeah, I don't even remember <laughs> half the stuff and I booked it and then and then you know I, I was, announced that fi- yeah. uh, flashback Friday I don't remember and uh, and when I sat down you know for you know I can laugh at this now and I and I would I would you know laugh at this with him Ramblin' Rich handed me you know the costume design the singlet kick pads robe and all that he made like a thousand dollars worth of costume that he was going to make for me yeah he hit you with the costume I loved it I thought your oh I loved it too yeah it was it was better than anything I had on my own. You know yep. what I mean? And it, it was, was like th- that gear, I still have it, and it's in better con- condition. I wore it than anything else I have, more than anything else I have, and it still holds up. That's because Rich, Rich, yeah. Rich makes quality stuff. Rich, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Rich's Rich. stuff was hands down. I mean, he told you that he learned how to do it from the people that made the WWE gear at the time, mm-hmm. and it really, the quality of it was just ridiculous. And yeah. it popped, man. I mean, you definitely stood out, not yeah. only because you were so tall and and you were very, you were, you weren't very tan back no, there. No, you were quite bright. I remember. Super pale, yeah. yeah. It was, it was a struggle. You know, <laughs> I, ha- I have a. Uh, even to this day, man, I, it's, it's not. I have to work hard to stay tanned or get, you know, get tanned and stay tanned. You know, but I eventually found my, my niche with that. <laughs> <laughs> I think one of the reasons you look so bright is because you had that uh, light-skinned girlfriend at the time. You couldn't stand yeah. next to her. She contrasted you to look even lighter. <laughs> yeah. Do we have to talk about her? Oh, uh, you know, I, looked at, yeah, I didn't say I, her I name. Pr- I would really prefer not to. Her I name has know. not been mentioned. I'm I guess just I, I guess back I, in the old days. my should, neck. I got kind of a little heat there, you know. <laughs> so maybe we just won't talk about her. <laughs> yeah, but let's, let's, let's talk about those early days, though, with um, – with the Holy Rollers and uh, Platinum Nat, and uh, were you the one who who kind of uh, d- got Nat out of there? Did you were you p- part of that beatdown in uh, no, Harrington? I, I don't even I, you know I kind of vaguely remember that man because it was like you know what my, did we turn on that? Nat got hit. I don't remember any. Nat got hit in the head with a Bible, a very big Bible. That, okay, by yeah. church. I remember that. I remember yeah, that. I, I was okay. you know by then Why I was part of, of it. That? Nat was just leaving the business, and so oh, you he got it the girlfriend. Yeah, it was yeah, that yeah. Right. It was book, He got married, yep. yeah. right? So no, I mean no, and you know a lot of that stuff back then became because I was like not everyone's favorite person at the time, so I was kind of you know and I had become an afterthought. With you a were lot of the difficult and, yeah. to get along with, though, you know. Do you think? <laughs> well, I just. You know, what I do you th- think it was? Because it was we had a rough relationship. I, I think well you. that that built later. I think our relationship built rough later. But I just became I just became like early on. It went from me being everyone's guy to like all of a sudden no one liked me. And um, what do you think that was? And you know, truthfully, we're doing some therapy here. Tr- truthfully, if we're going to say it's that girl, we're not going to talk about. <laughs> you know, <laughs> well, it a was lot, it, it was a lot, and a yeah. lot of a lot of guys didn't like the fact that you know that you know we became an item and it was just a lot of the guys started not liking me in general and i was still me and it's just you know i kind of fell to the wayside but and and you know what the truth is like being honest here like probably a lot of that was probably unfair oh yeah there was a lot of unfair things i I, I don't disagree with that i was like what am i doing you know like i was because i was doing the same thing and rj was doing the same thing with terror i think um you know what i think um Because um, I, I, I mean, I was driving the ring truck. I was the, like the first one. The, there. That's what I think it is. I was the last one. To I leave. think it was that uh-huh. you were kind of eclipsing. I don't want to say eclipsing, well, but there, you were kind of the head trainer, well, and Bruiser was not so much. So there was kind of like this. We listen nah. to Pat. So here's the nah. dynamic, and this is my opinion, and and I, I probably say I unfairly gave heat. So like 
we talked about this a couple episodes with Kim on it. Um, it's really such a weird dynamic when you get girls. Because the reality is, is that, look, maybe it's a different time now, but back then a lot of the guys were trying to hook up with the girls. All of you girls were pretty. Then, like, Kim starts dating me. RJ starts dating Tara. Then you got guys like, oh, they're favoring the girls, and they start giving heat. Then there's, like, I'm getting mad because my girlfriend, you know, like, she was working hard. All the you guys were working hard, and it's like we're getting heat. So maybe, honestly, maybe it was like, oh well, I now I can have heat with Pat because he's hooking up with one of the girls because I'm getting all this heat from the guys from seeing Kim. You see what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah, like, probably it, it a was lot of the, the, you know looking it back. It was really stupid. We were all kids, you know, in, in yeah. reality. You know, yeah, I was a 20 year old kid, 21 year old kid. So like, I don't harbor anything over it today. And, 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 and honestly, man, we don't even need to, to dwell on any of it because it's such water under the bridge that the thing that I appreciated most about it was after her and I split, and it was long overdue when it finally happened, you know, and, and MCW was closed down at the time, you know, it lit a fire under me. Everything, light, it just lit a fire under me, and that's what pushed me to the gym and pushed me to the tanning bed and pushed me, you know, to training to do what I needed to do that, you know, after MCW had its moment of closing down and it opened back up, despite how everybody felt about me everybody was looking at me and going man like we have to book him and we have to use him you know and so when I look back on it in general I don't even care anymore about you know what was happening because we were all in our 20s didn't know any you know most of us didn't right. know anything right. about life and it just for me it was a catalyst that unnecessary like, yeah, like it just it fueled stupid, me it, it fueled me to really you know go and I maybe carried feelings over it for a while back then but it was you know it, it it was neither here nor there because it helped turn me into who you know who I became to, mm-hmm. to that eventually forward. got signed yeah. and run, right yeah. you know so let's talk about that um, after we came back resurrection two thousand six mm-hmm. um, and then how long was was it how long did you move to Florida yeah I, I moved to Florida in January of '08 so you know it was it was it was real interesting when we came back because like you know you and I were coming off of like our own little personal stuff outside of there. And um, coming back and you were just like, hey, I want to, you know, can we do business properly? And I was like, y- you know, I, it would have been foolish of me to be, you know, to not want right. to come back to MCW with what it was and to, you know, to bury everything. And, um, you know, you guys let me know, like, we want to, we kind of want to do something with you. And that first show, you know, I'm going from got to use the the Baldo bomb in the past to I'm giving the Blue Meanie the razor's edge off the rope, you know. And uh, and then, you know, the second show back, I think I worked Josh Daniels um, in the semifinals. And then, you know, I went to the finals with Julio for the title in the Phenomenal Final mm-hmm. Four show in which Julio got the title. And then we segued into me and, and Bruiser, you being know, becoming right? being a team and working with Bubba and Devon. And so for me, man, that time was rich. It was like educational. It was learning. It was just it was good, man. And, and you know, even throughout that time. Um, from working so closely together, it, like helped you and I form a friendship, you right. know what I mean? And form some of my other, you know, friendships that are for life friendships now, um, with the business, um, that time was, was rich, you know, and then the, you know, RJ and I wrestling Bubba and Devon, 
Um, we had gone down to the Verizon Center. It might have even still been the MCI Center at the time <laughs> and worked as extras and, mm-hmm. and things of that nature. So when, when you and RJ worked the Dudleys, is that when you started talking to them? Is no, got, actually. So so I wrestled. We wrestled Bubba and Devon in that tag match. Mm-hmm. And then that fall, you know, RJ and I were the tag champions right. and you brought them in for um for a couple of shows and i remember you wanted to book it have them win the titles from us one night and us win them back the next but bubba was just like no. <laughs> yeah, yeah man. he was like he was like no and yeah so, uh, yeah i was yeah. like yeah no all and, right um, well, yeah. You so know. so i tried it but, i tried you know. it but i did yeah but buck bubba you know but bubba Bubba's and devon remembered us from that night man and it was cool because that match we had with them they said to us at the time they're like hey you guys like brought it to we don't even get guys in tna to bring it to us the mm-hmm. way you guys did they were very complimentary and you knew they didn't pay compliments right and you know we we you know that it, it, it meant a lot now the the flip side of that is like i was full go you know trying to figure you know trying to make it i'm like i want to get a job i want to get a contract the whole nine and you know i don't think rj was really looking past you know looking for that per se at at that point in time and so I had on my own, I got myself some extra bookings with the WWE. And, um, you know, one was here in Baltimore. One was in New York where me and a guy named Jason Static were in a, uh, I remember Jason were, we were in a contract yeah. signing yeah. with Booker and Batista yeah, for Survivor Series 06. We were like these dudes, you know, with trumpets um, for the for the royal contract signing. Oh, wow. Funny story on that is I ate a clothesline from Batista. Jason Static, you know, was supposed to eat a body slam from Batista, and he sandbagged him on the body slam. <laughs> and, I mean, Batista was Batista, but when you got a 200-pound dude all muscle that doesn't, you know, give you give you his part of the body slam, they ended up not – they cut it. They didn't air the body slam on TV, I oh, don't really? think. I don't remember <clears throat> if they didn't air it at all or if they only aired it from him having them up. Like, yeah. But, you know, so – Jason Static was never yeah. – Heard from or yeah. again. So I him. At, wow. at that set of bookings, I'm is where I met Shad Gaspard, and oh. you know me and Shad had become friends. At that point in time, I was looking to move. Was he not signed then, or no? No, he had just debuted. They, he, prime time had just you know they were five or six weeks on television, and so. We were looking to, you know, I was looking to move to OVW at the first of the year because that's just kind of what, where How everyone went. It. Yeah, what everyone did at the time. Well, um, at that point in time, you know, so I do those bookings right before Survivor Series. I go home, you know, I come to my family's house for Thanksgiving, and my stepfather is like, you know, basically super sick from pancreas cancer. And we recognize, like, he's not going to make it. And so... You know, I was initially in contact with Shad about going to Louisville and he was going to help me do it, you know, you know, help me get my foot in the door where I needed to get, you know, my foot in down there. But I just kind of put the whole thing on pause um, because I knew my father's days were numbered. And so he wound up passing away in March of 2007. And I just kind of like at that point in time, I had it on hold and we had this angle set up where. I was team going to team with Bubba and Devon. They were coming back. Me and RJ were now split, and I was going to team with Bubba and Devon to work RJ, Tom Brandy, and and Cicero. Right. And um, that was when I found out about Bubba and Devon's school. There was a you know already a built-in thing there, and right. over, and and it wasn't going to be oversaturated. And I believe that was when the rumbling started talking that WWE was going to move their entire developmental system to Florida anyway. So. It wound up, you know, being the the end of the year when I did that. Um, so when was that? That was that was oh seven. Man, know. has the WWE been in Florida that long? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, I think they opened at the at the very early two thousand seven. Yeah, wow. and it was Florida I think it, I think it took till yeah. the end of oh seven. 
I think it took until like they opened up in the summer of 07. There was rumblings about it then. They opened in the summer and it was by the end, by the early January of 08, they had the whole system down there, you know. Mm-hmm. So, but there was, uh, you know, actually while, while we're here talking about it, that show where I team with Bubba and Devon on, that was actually the show that, that 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 Zachary Shane and Kim came back to, and I don't know how much you guys remember of that. Um, well, that's a good topic yeah. to bring up because it came up. Um, yeah. It came when up when we had Kim. When we had Kim and Nicole on here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, 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 and I'm glad we can talk about this because there's definitely a different perspective. Oh here. my gosh, yeah. So, you know, I'm not saying that Kim doesn't remember things the way she remembers them. But, like, that version that she gave on the podcast was completely not what happened. You know what I mean? Like, that's not what went down at all. Um, the first thing, you know, is, and, and, and oh, I have no problem this saying is this. The, okay, yeah. I remember now. Okay, she, she, yeah. she referred. So, so basically, I'm going to go back, and I'm going to give the whole thing. First thing you she did. You punched Zach she, right in the face no, when he came? I did not punch Zach. I smacked Zach, but there's more to it than that. <laughs> You know, she referred to me as Dan Stooge at the time, which was completely unfair. Dan and I had become friends, but Mm -hmm. like it was in no way, shape or form. Was it fair for her to call me his stooge? Because quite frankly, Dan was the only one in the locker room that was against that happening. He didn't want it to happen. I remember Mm -hmm. this plain as day. And but it was like literally everyone. If it wasn't me, it was going to be someone else. Well, there's context that matters, too. Before you go. Oh, there's a whole lot. A whole lot of context that matters that Kim conveniently like doesn't mention and that and that that context is that the animosity of everybody not wanting to right to do that was because she was real shady about how it happened yeah because she was asking me to help zach and get in oh i do something going i'm gonna go back even further on that right right so i so everybody was real insulted about like hey kim was asking Dan to help train this kid, yeah, and and help him get. Meanwhile, they're still married, and she's and doing she's, her, yeah. She's so so with, with him, right? So yeah. like there was there was a lot of animosity of, and a lot of people didn't like that were looking out for me. Were like, and fairly speaking, um, look, I was in love with Kim. She was my wife. Of course, obviously, we had been together nine years. There was probably a part of me that was holding on to maybe we can still work things out, even though people are going like, come on. for You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it's but so maybe I was bringing them back in. I mean, I was doing it because I did want to do a match. But I think a lot of people and I remember RJ, too, at the time, like you shouldn't be doing this. So, like, so, I don't so think, you, you know may not I mean? even know half of what I'm about to you know give you on that. So here's your timeline. Zach. I met Zach at a show in Pennsylvania somewhere, you know, in like March or April of 2006. And I was literally asked by the promoter to just do a run in on his match and beat him and the guy who was working up. And I was like, are you kidding? Like on the fly? I was like, can these kids work? And he was like, yeah, I want you to do it right now. I forgot to tell you before the show started. <laughs> so I run to the ring and I beat Zach and this guy up and they do like a pretty decent job with it. So then a couple months later, Zach is at the MCW show wanting to help out. And, you know, he's just helping out, trying to get himself noticed. You guys needed a couple of guys for me and RJ to squash. This is like post Dudley thing. I'm like, that guy can do it. I don't even remember who the second guy was, but I knew I, I, I personally was like, Zach is the guy to do it. Then you and I were talking because you and Kim were having issues. But as far as the boys know, you and Kim were married. You were together. You were telling only me, a few people knew yeah, we were really right, separated. Of course, right. but all the boys thought y'all were together. But we knew <clears throat> some of us knew you were having issues. You know, so we were still husband and wife. Right, right, exactly. Yeah, you were still man and so, wife. 
So you're trained, you know, you started training Zach as, as a means to help her. And, and all of a sudden, Zach is now also because you, you know, admittedly were looking to, um, you know, try to, to piece things together with you and her. Zach is getting opportunities that he's like, doesn't, that he, that he got. shouldn't have gotten. <clears throat> he was at this Legends convention with us, getting paraded around, you know, with like, got to have Paul Bear. Paul and, Bear and, right. You know, like he was one of us. And Sensational I remember, Sherry. And, and I remember becoming sort of offended by it, but I'm like, whatever, like, it doesn't affect me. So, because people were like, "Hey, man, I think yeah, something's more going yeah, on yeah, with Kim and Zach," yeah, and I didn't want to yep. see it because I'm like, "No," she yep. said, "No." So I told uh, I told <clears throat> Dean, I said, "Listen, man, you got to latch your uh, Tyler Hilton." I said, "You got to latch yourself on to Zach because he's going to get a push one way or another." And like Dean was kind of float, Tyler was floating on the mid card, mm-hmm. and he was like, "I don't want." I was like, "Listen." So I, I came up with the idea to put him, Zach, and, and LK together, and then you know, like they're they're they're. I kind of came up with the beginning phases right. of it, and then they took hold of it and became mm-hmm. the Rehoboth Beach crew. And I told Tyler, I said, "Listen, man, you're gonna you can work. You're gonna outshine him," which he did. And two months into the gimmick, he's the TV champion. Then stuff comes out, Zach, you know about Zach and Kim. And what really frustrated me when it came out was I know there was an incident when they were loading the ring in your garage back then where where Tyler and some of the other guys confronted Zach about him and Kim and said, this is basically your opportunity to come clean. And he lied about it. So when the whole thing went down, I reached out to Zach and I said, here's the deal, man. You disrespected the entire locker room. You disrespected the business. Like this is, you know, this is uh, about what you did to Dan, especially with everything he was doing for you. But it's about what you did to every single one of us, like getting opportunities that should have been going to someone else. Like you really like if I see you again, I said, and I said, I sent this to him, I think, in a MySpace message because I didn't have his (laughs) number. I said, the next time I see you, I don't care if it's a day from now or it's six months from now or a year from now. I'm going to slap you right across your face and you can do with that whatever you want. And so it, there was no response from him. So that night, scared. that <laughs> night they brought them in through the front door. We had talked about it the, the kind of the night before at your house. Um, I think, and, and, and Bubba and Devon were present for that. And Bubba was like, Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, he was like, <laughs> he was like, I can't believe you're bringing that kid back in the locker room. So we get to the show the next day and what no one knows, like the whole entire locker room was in on it. Like everyone was like, um, you know, RJ and Tyler, they had guys like staged at the curtains. To yeah, make RJ, sure. I found, yeah. and again, I, I didn't, I mean, I was busy with the show. Yeah, the I was announcing all of it so i really didn't yeah and and as you guys but rj was one of the guys policing so so they stay yeah they we all knew i told him what i'm gonna do i said i'm gonna slap him and i want you guys to get like i'm gonna give him a minute to respond if he wants to do something that's up to him and so he came down the steps and you know i said hey what's up after we did the angle after we did the angle in the ring he came down the steps and i said hey what's up zach and as soon as he there i slapped him across the face he fell back on the steps he did get a black eye but it was a slap it was not a punch and kim went off and and well, she kind of did, but they let it breathe for a second. And then, you know, we did that. We did what we had already talked about where RJ kind of come and grab me and we pretended to have them take me back. And, you know, it, but it RJ was, was, it was. In on it. Uh, RJ, the whole locker room was in on it. We had like five guys at the <clears throat> curtains to make sure we didn't spill through the curtain into the crowd if we had a fight, you know. Right. And so but it was like all the boys, you know, dope ever. Everyone was in on it. And then, you know, it did. It got me over with Bubba and Devon because Bubba was just kind of like that was old school, you know. And yeah. Um, Bubba even tried to pump me up beforehand, like telling me you're not going to do it. And this, I was like, hey, I got all the respect in the world for you, but I don't need that. This is happening. (laughs) You know, this is happening. And so, but to to Zach's credit, you know, following that, Zach ate everything he had to eat to deal with it. You know, 
um, to, to, to deal with the repercussions. The uh, Later in that same show, he had to smack me in the ring as part of a thing. And, um, and Kim's standing right there telling him to slap me. And I looked right at him in the ring and I was like, I dare you. And he gave me like the weakest slap, the weakest pro wrestling slap in history. And... Um, and then you know the fo- afraid. the following show I think it was the the Shamrock Cup where I worked RJ in the street fight you know Zach was gonna um, I, I was uh, sizing up RJ to hit him with a chair and Zach popped up on the apron and I turned and 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 creamed him with the chair and um, you know to me it was over after that and man he took like the sickest bump to the floor that anybody could have expected to take. So it was, you know, it was dead and done after that. And Zach was a part of MCW for years after that. So, you know, but you got to, you know, if you're going to do that, you're going to do something like sleep with the owner's wife, the guy who trained most of us wife, the guy who, you know, um, is is responsible for the show running and is having his own go with it. You know, you're, you're spitting in our faces too, man. And like, you know, he's, and it's his wife. It's his, it's, you know, what he had devoted his life to. He's not, you, we, no one expected you to want to make that decision right now but we were like dude we're gonna this is a, this is our locker room you know and me being the guy that rj was always the man but i was sort of the guy because i hadn't made a solid decision to leave yet and at that point the best i knew i was the next mcw heavyweight champion you know down the line from joey and um you know i was like i'm gonna i'm the guy that's gonna do it well i already told him i'm gonna do it so right. i gotta be the guy to do it you know wow so yeah, Sorry. I missed all so there was that. a lot more context. Yeah, and yeah, it wasn't the way that Kim made it out that you no. just stood back there, sucker punched him the second he walked no. down the stairs. He, he had a we made eye contact. I said, <laughs> he "Hey, what's up?" Coming. I said, "Hey, what's up, Zach?" And it was like a second pause, and then I did it, you know. And then I even let it breathe when he came mm-hmm. up off the steps to see, are are you gonna are you gonna I was gonna give him an opportunity to do something back, you know. He was just ready to take and, another one, you know. I'm it, it's weird, man, because I'm obviously like what Kim said. I'm a different guy in life now. And, you know, so I look back on that now and I'm like, you know, would the guy that I am now do that, you know, maybe, maybe not because it's such a flagrant, egregious like offense. But I most certainly wouldn't have stopped the guy from doing it that I knew was going to do it, mm-hmm. you know. I heard right. that. Well, with that said, I think it's time for Sorry. us to take another little pause <laughs> uh, because that was a little too hot for the cast. Even. Yeah, and then we'll, we'll get back. <laughs> we'll get into him um, moving to down to the Dudleys and then getting signed yeah. after that. So We'll yep. be right back. Right. Be right back. All right. Well, we are back. That um, definitely shed some light on uh, what was a uh, somewhat controversial moment in our mid-MCW history back in, what was it, 2007? 2006, 2007. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. All right. So, well... That also was the period right before you left MCW. Mm-hmm. So what... Um, what well, was the catalyst there for that? So, so during that, you know, that time I was, I was, you know, I count my blessings to this day that I was, you know, given the opportunities to work with the Dudleys, to work the Dudleys, the whole nine. And that, you know, there was a relationship forged and Bubba and Devon had launched their own school. And I knew like I needed some advanced training from somebody on that level to some degree. That's why, you know, I was previously saying I wanted to move to OVW, even though I knew it would be oversaturated. I'm like, you know, even if I don't go down there and get a contract, I'm going to get better. And so, um, you know, but I learned at that show we talked about that, um, you know, Bubba and Devon had opened up their school down in Kissimmee. And I just made the decision of like, man, that's that's going to be the place. And 
Uh, I went down there in September of 2007. Actually, I went down there on my 27th birthday because Bubba wanted to evaluate me. And I'm like, man, you guys, you guys worked me. And he is like, I don't care. I need to see what mm-hmm. you really can do and can't do. And so they brought me down and, you know, they did this evaluation. They used, um, if you guys remember Jesse Neal from TNA, he was one of their students and like he was their, you know, one of their top students at the time. Oh, yeah. And me and Jesse for like 45 minutes, Jesse just blew me up. It was like, it was bad, you know. Yeah. And so I realized that that, you know, in that day, in that moment, like that's the place I want to go. But I've been given too much attention to being a bodybuilder and not enough to be an athlete. And so um, it was it was, you know, a, a good mindset shift as we move forward. And then uh, January first weekend in January of 2007, I mean, 2008, I, I packed up and, and moved down. And um, what was really interesting about that was Booker T had recently opened up his school at that point in time, too. And they were create Booker T was creating this cross school, you know, beef mm-hmm. um, for the shows with them. And uh, because they didn't necessarily have a student that was per se ready, you know, Bubba called me a week before I moved down and they got me booked <laughs> to go to Houston to be their student on this show. And to so be I, one of Booker's to students? Be on, no, to be one of Bubba uh, and Devon's student to work with, you know, Booker. I remember. I kind of remember yeah. that. Yeah. And, um, and, and it was uh, – and, and then so I immediately walked into Bubba and Devon's school with all this heat from all these kids because, like, I hadn't <laughs> even trained one day. And, um, I mean, I, I trained my first week, but they had already had, had it booked when I got there right. before we went. And um, it ended up working out. I was just supposed to, like, you know, go to the show and be a part of it. Well, Bubba's, father, who, Bubba's father-in-law at the time, who was our strength and conditioning coach, he got real sick. I think he had a stroke or something along those lines. He was in the hospital. Bubba couldn't go. So then I got to go to Houston and team with Devon to work a couple of Booker students. And it was like, you know, just kind of like all systems go from there, man. Ended with, like, me and Devon putting those guys through tables and running in a limo, you know, hopping in a limo. And it's like, man, as much as the business, you know, is a work, that stuff was still, it was exhilarating, man. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. To get those spots You like know, that. to be treated so well, to, to fly in and, and to be treated so well by Booker and Charmel, man, like as just a student being put up in my own room in the Marriott with a gift basket and a note wishing me well in my career, man, it was like, wow. it was like immediately like right out the gate from going down there. I was like, man, like, okay, I'm supposed to be here, you know, and the program itself just it was it was a full-fledged Bubba's uh, father-in-law was a co-creator of the original American Gladiators and so he was our strength and conditioning coach and so man it was it was rigorous but man you know I dropped like 40 pounds I think while I was down there from the moment I walked in the door you know till I had my tryout uh, post WrestleMania 24 it was just um it was insane man. so you got <clears throat> signed mm-hmm from when you were how long were you down there with Bubba and Devon before you got signed so IWWE? I started training there the second week in January and I'm not going to say that this wasn't a motivating motivating factor was that Wrestlemania 24 was in Orlando and it was like the end of March uh-huh. so basically it was like 10 weeks and Bubba came to me maybe two <clears throat> weeks ahead of time and told me I was going to be um you know I was going to be at the Raw after Wrestlemania 24 that was it that's all it was booked then a week beforehand they came to me and told me that I was going to WrestleMania. 
and that I was probably going to get choke slammed by the big show. They were going to put me in, in Mayweather's posse and um, and have me be the guy that got choke slammed by big show because they didn't want to exploit any of the developmental talent. And then like a couple days beforehand, they just scrapped it all together and just they pulled some guys from FCW and had those guys be, you know, with Floyd Mayweather. But then I went to the Raw, you know, following WrestleMania. And it was good because everybody was burnt out. So, like, I got in the ring and I rolled around with Jamie Noble for, like, 45 minutes. And it, that was a cool experience because I knew at that point in time all that training at Bubba and Devon's was, like, like it was the best shape I've ever been in in my entire life. Like, you couldn't blow me up to the point that we, 45 minutes in, Jamie Noble was like, do you need a, you need to take a break? You need water? And he could go. You know, he was still Jamie Noble. But he was like, and I was like, no, nah, man, I'm good. And he was like, well, I need water. You know, take, take, take a powder. So from there, um, and that was actually what was cool for me about that was that was actually Ric Flair's retirement role. And like I <laughs> that was, was Shawn yeah. Michaels, Ric Flair. That was well, it was the what? raw. The raw was the night after. The night, yeah, but yeah, that was yeah. that wrestle. Yeah, yeah so was, I was. Yep. I'm I sorry. Was, I love you. Yeah. yeah. Iconic yeah. moment there. Yeah. yeah. And so I was like at that raw, and you know it was kind of it was cool because a lot of the extras, man, guys that get work for WWE as an extras that just have no. Um, etiquette or training you know it was the end of the night it's the Ric Flair retirement raw and these guys are like gone you know because they're not getting looked at anymore nobody's paying attention to them and so you know they just left I was literally standing backstage like five feet from Gorilla watching you know um, the screen back Mm -hmm. there and because the whole entire WWE, everyone was out around the room. I was the only one <laughs> in the right. locker room, you know. I almost walked out just to, like, <laughs> right. You should have just, who, who you know. just walked you know. out and hug him after Undertaker <laughs> yeah. or something. You know yeah. I, mean? I know. So, Triple H looks at him like, this guy. Well, they were all up in the ring. Everybody else was like on the stage. Yeah. You know? So I was yeah. like, I could have slipped through there and like hung out on the stage. You know, but that your ro- uh, you would have got yeah. heat for that from someone. That so. uh that that raw, it, it it actually went really well. It was also what it what was great about that was that particular raw was Crime Time's re-debut after being released. And so, you know, I hadn't spoken to Shad since I had uh, started at Bubba and Devon's. He knew I was moving, but they were like doing indies everywhere because they had kind of gotten a bogus release right and um and then uh they were back and so you know we kind of ran into each other while we were filling you know they were literally signing their contracts and i was like filling out my extra paperwork we ran into each other and so it was just a lot that happened that day man that was like you know really cool and at you know 12 30 midnight when everybody's wrapping up ty bailey came to me and he's uh, um ty bailey used to work directly under john laurinitis and he's like hey he was like can you go to smackdown tomorrow and I, it was in miami and i was like absolutely he was like okay you go there you'll get you know further things from there or further instructions from there so i went to uh, miami was like four hours away and like after getting that news and after being a part of it i like couldn't sleep so i literally got in my car <laughs> and drove to miami <laughs> and um and I got down to Miami. I think it, I think I went home first and like took a shower and all that. But I got down to Miami at like seven thirty in the morning, and I didn't have to be to the building till like one o'clock to one thirty. So I just kind of had to hang out around you know local places down there. And right outside that arena down there, it was pretty rough. So I had to like pick and choose and be careful where I went. So I went to SmackDown, and we did a little bit of stuff in the ring. They that was a night of Vladimir Kozlov debuted, and originally they were going to have me get beat by him, and they were like no. And then Snitsky had a match on Sunday Night Heat, and they were doing this thing where um, they got to kind of pick their enhancement guy that they worked with, and so um, uh, Kozlov worked uh, Matt Bentley on SmackDown, but you know for Sunday Night Heat they got to pick their guy, and. 
I literally, Snitsky made, I don't think he knew I heard him at the time, but I literally heard him tell um, Jamie Noble that he was not picking me to, to work me. And Noble was like, well, the office is looking at him. And he was like, I don't care. I'm not having him stand next to me because of how good he looks. <laughs> and, you right. know, so it, it was, I'm not going to say it swelled my head. It just gave me like, okay, I, belo- I belong yeah. here. Mm-hmm. You know, I knew, you know, I was feeling it already, but I was like, I belong here. Yeah. And, um, and so he ended up picking this other guy. And then they sent me down to FCW for a week long tryout the following week. Well, it, it was like this weird time in my life, man, because that Friday, um, you know, that Friday, uh, uh, a friend of mine passed away, you know, that, that I worked with from back in Maryland. And I so I did, you know, went down to FCW the next week, did my tryout. Everything went great with that. I still to this day, like, you know, there was I would say not even half the roster did as well as I was able to do during that tryout because it was just I was prepared. And so I did that tryout. Steve Kern flat told me I worked Matt Bentley in what we filmed tryout matches for that. And it was funny because Yoshitatsu was there at the time trying out from he was here from Japan. And Billy Kidman was one of the trainers and Kidman did his tryout match with him. I worked Matt Bentley in mine. And, 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 you know, the guys were like real, you know, good to me. And Steve Kern pulled me in his office and he said, I'm, I'm going to push to get you signed. And he was like, I can't guarantee you anything. And so this was like the first week of April. And so, or, you know, yeah, first or second week of April. And then so at the end of April, um, you know, my sister passed away. And that, you know, that in and of itself, I could give an hour to and, and just how much it wrecked me emotionally and, and you know, what it did to my, my state of mind. And then like a month later, you know, 30 days later, I'm still trying to contact the WWE. Still, it's radio silent from them. Like I do this tryout. They tell me they're going to push me to get signed. And then I get no feedback. I get mm-hmm. nothing. And they're like, we're going to, you know, we're going to push to get you signed. They don't answer emails, don't answer phone calls, nothing. And I'm like, man, what am I doing? And, and, and in the meantime, after my sister passed away, you know, I went into a bit of a depression where I'm like, I'm drinking. I'm like, you know, eating. I'm not going to the gym. I'm like, man, you know, I think this contract, if I get this contract, it'll save me. But I ain't even prepared to get this contract. You know? Right. And so um, June, I think it was like the second week of June, I finally get a phone call. Like, because I, I was in touch with Bubba and Bubba's kind of like, you need to get back down here and start training. Or you would any, come back to Maryland. Yeah, I was back in Maryland because <clears throat> I was back. Like, it, it timed out to where I went down to Florida and I had an exact amount of money and an exact timeline. And I, I just, I was like, if I don't get on Wrestle, if I don't get a tryout post WrestleMania, you know, at WrestleMania or Raw, then I'm going to, you know, I'm going to get a job down here. But when I did those tryouts and they went as well as they did, I'm like, I'm not spending any more money to be down. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, get back home. But then it was like my sister passed away. That was really the, the thing that kind of pushed me home. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm in Maryland. Bubba's like, you need to get back down here, start training. Um, you know, then I get this phone, you know, phone call to, to get signed. And so, um, you know, I get the phone call to get signed a couple weeks later, another friend of mine passed away a month later, my grandmother passed away. So it's like, I'm going through this process of where I'm expecting to be like the greatest time in my life, man. You know, there's people just dropping Mm -hmm. dead. I mean, I have a tattoo on my forearm for 2008 in Roman numerals because there were six people that passed away and there's Mm -hmm. six letters Mm -hmm. and, um, it was just rough. And then, you know, I kind of got the phone call to get signed. And, you know, up until the day I reported at FCW, man, I was like not expecting to even make it myself. It was like, I, you know, the days just kind of all blurred. You know, I didn't know what was real and what wasn't. And then I walked into FCW the first day and I went from being, you know, 245 pounds and, and shredded and like, 
you know, ready for <laughs> ready for TV already mm-hmm. to walking in that door like 310 pounds, hadn't been to the gym in four months. And I walked right up to Tom Pritchard, Steve Kern. I said, hey, man, like, here's where I've been. Here's where I am. Um, you know, I have no excuse, but this is just what happened in my life. I didn't expect to really walk in these doors till I just did. And, uh, you know, Steve Kern looked right at me and, you know, he asked me, you know, what I believed about God and things of that nature. We had a conversation about faith and he said, well, you just got to let your actions speak for your words. And so, um, I kind of got to work and I went from like being this close to getting cut because when you get down there your first day, they take pictures and they had pictures of me from when I tried out, you know? Mm. So it immediately was this like, oh, Whoa, well, what happened to this guy? Yeah, what happened to this guy? What was he doing before he got here, you know, mm-hmm. um, that he can't do now? And so it just, uh, I had to, you know, I had to work and get myself back into shape, man. But it was like I was really close to getting fired. And, um, <clears throat> you know, it, it was embarrassing. I had a match with Trent Barreto. It was like my first match there. And I still have a picture to this day I'll go back and look at, man, where my stomach was like spilt over, you know, my waist where he's coming off the top rope to drop kick me. And um, and it was, uh, you know, it just wasn't a good time. But, um, you know, slowly but surely I made progress, started getting myself together, uh, got back in 10 weeks. I had basically dropped all the weight I needed to drop, you know, and um, at that at that point in time, you know, there were so many guys there that like, you know, you get a, a lot of, you know, the business can sometimes get a bad rap for how, you know, bad guys are. But they, there's so many good guys in the business, too. And there were a lot of good guys that, you know, came along me and knew like, you know, hey, here's some nutrition tips. I already, already knew what I needed to do in the gym. And like, here's a way to cut weight fast, but not like starve yourself kind of thing. And, you know, I just went through the process. And about 10 weeks later, I was in shape and I was in everyone's good graces. Um, I was getting drug tested twice a week, (laughs) but I was I was in everyone's good graces, you know, so. So when you were down there and you were trying to go through this whole process, did you have any real I mean, obviously, Bubba was a big advocate of yours. Did you have any other advocates that were really like in your in your corner? And in addition to that, did you have any detractors that were kind of like. You felt like trying to knock you off the rails mm. or kind of take us some of the wind out of your sails. You mean as far as when I was trying to get signed or once I was once there? Once you got there. Once you got yeah, there. Once right? I got there. I mean, I'm sure everybody, because people are competitive, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, it, you know, once it sort of became known, you know, so, so like I was good friends with Shad and Shad was like one of those people that like he was, he would do anything for anybody. Right. And so a lot of people didn't like him. And so once it became like, hey, this is Shad's boy. There were certain guys, there were certain guys, and I'm not going to say their names because it's really not important because they're all different people now too, you know, um, that were kind of like, you know, didn't want anything to do with me when I got there. And, um, but slowly but surely it all changed. You know, I'd love to hear some of their names. (laughs) No, man, I I won't do that because they're good people now. And it's just, I'm not a gossip. It'd be gossipy, man, you know, and that's not, that's not, you were signed there twice. Yes. So you got released. Yep. So, and came back because like you're big. And yes. all that you were tagged. That champ, was the second that was, go round. That's what yeah. I I couldn't. Yep. Okay, so, so you, how yeah. long were you there when you got released? So so the first go around, I was there for about nine months, and so I get you know I lose all this weight, I get in shape, they start doing this push, they line me up and you know in this group with like Wade Barrett and you know um, I think Drew was still slightly a part of it, 
and uh, Byron Saxton. We were called the conglomerate. And, you know, Dusty was big on me. We're, you know, doing this. I, I started coining this Baltimore character. of. Were, like, you, you, know, were you given you know, the name Calvin Reigns well, at that time? Well, at that point, no. I had the name Caleb O'Neill at That's that time. That's right. That was right. And, and truthfully, I picked the name Caleb from the girl that was my ex-girlfriend at the time because she always said she was going to name her first son that. Mm-hmm. So I picked the name Caleb just to sort of spite her. And then, yeah. and then I just chose O'Neill because it was two syllables and it was like you could be like O'Neill or O'Neill sucks you know one of the two mm-hmm. and um, that was a name I had then and so um, I was doing well you know Dusty and I had sort of worked together I coined this like you know gimmick being from Baltimore and you know putting myself up there with like Michael Phelps and Ray Lewis and Cal Ripken and all these great athletes and uh, I remember I cut this promo one time calling the girls all the girls down there flea bitten floozies compared to like the greatest diva Stacy Keebler <laughs> and kind of thing and, and you know that got cut off Dusty was like you can't call my girls floozies he didn't care that I said flea bitten he said yeah. you can't call them floozies so what happened is it's it was basically um you know, there's a bunch of us like I got injured. I got injured, um, you know, on a, on a Tuesday or a Wednesday. I strained my quad and I was looking at like a four week rehab. Well, I went to physical therapy. It was a Friday morning. I went to physical therapy or it was a, it was a Thursday or Friday. Anyway, it was I was driving to physical therapy. And when I was coming down the road to go to the appointment, the exit that you needed to take was closed for construction. And at that point, I was still like, you know, 20 minutes away from the appointment. Uh, I was still 20 minutes away from my time. Well, there's this bridge down there called the Gandy Bridge that runs from Tampa to St. Pete. Well, this was the last exit before the Gandy Bridge. It was like eight miles long. And when you go across the Gandy Bridge, you can't just get off and get back on and come Mm -hmm. back across. So basically, when I got off, I called the place, was like, hey, I'm going to be a few minutes late. I'm sorry. You know, this is what happened. And they're like, oh, yeah, we got to start telling people not to use that exit. So I get to the appointment 10 minutes late. I do the appointment. Everything's fine. And then, you know, I'm the next day I get a a phone call and it's like Ty Bailey and John Laurinaitis both. And they're just kind of ripping into me. Right. Like, you know, about um, who do I think I am being late to my physical therapy appointment? And I was like, what? And they were like, why were you late? And I tried to explain it to him. And John was like, that sounds like a bunch of excuses. And, you know, he started ripping into me. And I quickly realized there was something bigger, you know, happening in the conversation. And so I kind of, you know, I had gone through um, where I had gotten some tattoos a couple months prior. And I got suspended because I didn't wait for permission. And I will stand on my own to this day. I tried to get permission. They didn't respond in a court, you know, in a timely fashion. And I'm like, I'm a grown man. I'm going to get my tattoos. Like I already have tattoos. I'm just adding to what I have. <laughs> so, but that got me suspended. But John told me in that moment, if you weren't six five two fifty and could work, I, and I knew I was going to make money on you, I would fire you right now. So it was like, suck to get suspended when you're making 500 bucks a week and get fined a thousand dollars, you know, yeah. that you're trying to live <clears throat> off of. Right. And, um, and to you know that so we had that so now this like physical therapy appointment but it just didn't make sense to me they're on he's ripping me and he's like scrutinizing like things he's like why aren't you the last person to leave practice every day and I'm like well I'm like one of the first people there and I spend more time in the ring when I'm there than anyone else and he was like why aren't you and he's like he was like I work 20 hours a day sometimes and I remember saying this to him and I this is like the one thing I regret I said well John you make three million dollars a year I make twenty six thousand dollars a year when I'm earning your kind of money I'll put in your kind of time no Oh, man. No, well, no. Yes and no. Because so 
no matter how right it may have felt at the time, that was my boss I was talking to. And I failed to realize like there was a bigger purpose for the phone call, Mm -hmm. you know? And so was that the relief? Oh yeah. He said, well, I'm gonna tell you what he was like, I'm gonna go ahead and let you go. Then he was like, you know, you go to Japan, you go to TNA, you go wherever. He said, I'll call you in six months when you, you know, when you're as valuable to me as you think you are. And, uh, and I found out in that moment, like, you know, wow, like you're, you're not as special as you thought you were because you just got fired. But then I turned into that guy that was like, man, forget this place. You know, I called <laughs> Bubba. I was like, give me in the TNA <laughs> you know, kind of thing. Yeah. Right. And it just didn't, you know, but it was, it shocked them. You know, the guys like everyone down there was shocked. So what happened is I left and I went to physical therapy because I had physical therapy that day. And when I got to physical therapy, I walked in and they, and you know, I got to that appointment on time. <laughs> and when I walked in, they're like, Hey, how you doing? And, uh, Evan Bourne, Matt Seidel and, and Ryback were in there. And I was like, and they were like, you know, and I was like, well, I just got fired. And they were like, for what? They were like, and I was like, for being late to physical therapy yesterday. And they were like, are you kidding me? And, and Matt, Matt Seidel, Evan Bourne, he like his head dropped and he was like, dude, I'm so sorry. And I was like, what? And he was like, man, he was like, it's, it's probably my fault. And I was like, what do you mean? He said, I tried to cancel my appointment today because uh, he was like to go fishing. It's like literally my last appointment. I think he had a heel injury or an Achilles injury or something he was coming back from. He was like, it was my last um, appointment before, you know, before being cleared from here. He said, I just wanted to go fishing before I go back on the road. And so the doctor came over at that point or the therapist and he, and you know, he heard us talking and he was like, dude, I'm sorry. He said, Basically, I have to give them a report every day. And he said, Ryback, they had kept at the arena till like 3 in the morning doing promos. And he had a 7 a.m. physical therapy appointment that he overslept and missed. And so between when, when they called the office to be like, hey, basically Ryback didn't show up, you know, and, and Matt, you know, told us he's not coming. And so they asked for the attendance report for like the entire week from everybody. And they just plucked my name off the list. I was later told that John John said when he gets that list, he's going to pluck somebody <laughs> off and fire them that nobody expects to be fired. Whether that's true or not, mm-hmm. I don't know. I bet it is true, you know? Pat. So that yeah. that was the end of the first run there. You know. Wow. Well, we've heard those stories about what it's like to work for the E and work for <laughs> you know personalities like Mark Carano recently, which has happened with Mickey and. Um, mm-hmm. John Laurinaitis, we've heard a lot of stories about, too. So I don't want to delve into too, too yeah. much, but Tara? But, well, that wasn't your only stint with them, no, though, you know? No, um, no. And you know what was really cool about that was actually while I was in FCW, I met had met Batista. We, I worked out in the gym where he worked out in. And he actually kind of tried to get me my job back after I was let go. And he was just like, this is bull crap, man. Like, who cares? And, and, you know, they're looking at it as you came in here overweight, you got tattoos, and now, you you know, you're this. And he's like, man, it's, it's all just bull crap, man. He was like, it's ridiculous that they fired you. So he said it. he went down to FCW and he talked to Steve Kern to make sure I wasn't a turd. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> he said, once I found out you weren't a turd, he said he, he, he tried to go to bat for me. But just from a political aspect, he later came back and said, it's, it's just better for you to wait it out. You know, yeah. let John yeah. hire you back on his own terms. So how long? was it a year and a half john told john was telling everyone six months it was a year and a half and so once i realized it was i immediately went back to bubba and devon's and i started training did you come back to mcw yes yeah yeah well the first three months because they paid me for 90 days and so for those first three months i just went to bubba and devon's trying to kind of rationalize and bubba was very adamant of like i don't want to bring you to tna you know and so 
you know, I was like, at that point, it's the first time I had to really like exhale and decompress from like everyone that had passed away and from that whole process. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, I'm, I'm going home, you know, I'm going to go home. Um, maybe I'll do some indies, go back to MCW, try to get in the ring of honor, the whole nine. And, you know, I kind of came home for that. Um, came back to MCW, you know, uh, I think this is when I won, you know, would end up winning the MCW heavyweight title. Uh, during that time in my personal life was when I met my wife. Um, you know, what year was that? This was like, 2009, 2009, you know, 2009 and uh, late 2009, early 2010. Um, you know, and and during that time, I was in like steady touch with like Shad, and I even talked to to, to Dave a little bit here and there up until he left the company in May. I think <clears throat> it was May of 2010, and um, you know, but I met my wife, and you know, basically went from being this like single, you know, <laughs> guy that you should hide your wife and hide your kids from, to now <laughs> I've got a girlfriend, and you know, she's got three sons, and. You know, we're, I'm not supposed to even meet her kids for like six months. And then it was the year we got all the blizzards. Like, we, you know, we wake, they're calling for 30 inches of snow. You're like, we're not really going to get 30 inches of snow. And then I get up at 5 o'clock in the morning to try and leave, and there's 30 inches of snow on the ground. And it's like, <laughs> you're meeting so, the kids. So, so, <laughs> side, side note from a... Side note from before you, before you met your wife and you're talking about the kind of guy you were. Do you remember being at my uncle's? Yeah, and pool and, party, and, and it was all these- so, yeah. So, so I know what you're going to say. Brian, <laughs> Brian like Holhouse loves story. to tell this story to this day. Brian Holhouse will tell this story to anybody that will listen of me standing near the edge of the pool. See, I had to work that night, so I had clothes in the car, and I was like, I need one of you guys. There was like, you know, there's a bunch of women there, and and I was like, I need you guys to uh, <laughs> sure, you know, push me, me push pool. me in the pool. And they're like, Why? I was like, So I have a reason to take my clothes off out here. I'm not going to lie. I don't. I like. I, I'm ashamed of that now for. Not for the, you know, the, it's just, it's like, man, that was so cheap, you know? It was, <laughs> it was so but it was cheap. so cheap, I couldn't <laughs> you know? forget it. I was like, cl- cl- and then he gets up and it was totally out of, you know, because Pat was in shape and he was shredded and jacked. So it, it was like the cheapest, like Fabio <laughs> commercial <laughs> ever, like him getting up and slowly yeah. taking his shirt off. Well, yeah, out I, of I did like the, but the both hands. Across, a lot of my you know. uncle and aunt's women friends sold big for it. Yeah. It was, it was, you it know, was sold big for Woo! it. It was, it was the cheesiest '80s Fabio commercial <laughs> ever, and it happened right yeah. in my in my uncle's backyard. I, I remember setting my cell phone down, and I was like, set my cell phone and my wallet on the table. I was like, it's go time. And the, the, the good thing about <laughs> so, these stories, so I'm, I'm thankful. I'm very thankful that my wife kind of already knows who I was before we got together, before I found, you know, my relationship with God and all that. So it's not like she gets caught. She's heard all these stories. She, caught, she didn't get caught off guard by this. But it was it was funny, man. It was, uh, it was funny. It, I, I laughed about that for – actually, I still laugh about it with Whole House to this day. Yeah. You yeah, know, so – that's great. So now you you meet your your wife to be, yep. and you're here again. But yeah. now you're yeah. going to go back. <laughs> well, so I'm I'm wrestling for MCW, and um, you know I'm I'm doing my thing. I'm kind of staying in shape, but I'm kind of not. You know, like um, it's like okay, well MCW. I decided not to chase a bunch of independents because it's like I just don't want to put the mileage on my body right now. If if I legitimately have a shot to get signed back by WWE or to go to TNA, I don't want to go take a bunch of bumps somewhere else sure. with guys that I don't know to you know, to run your bump card up. And so, um, you know, yeah. And then it, it didn't, you know, it, I got snowed in, we got 30 inches of snow. So I'm now like, you know, playing house with, with, with my now wife and, and my sons. 
And, um, you know, and it just went really well. You know, it was like it mm-hmm. was such a rich time for me um, as a person, as a man, as a, you know, as who I was. And so four days later, we get 18 more inches. So I ended up spending <laughs> like 11 straight days with them, you know, out in the snow playing and like, you know, kind of realizing like, man, this is what life can be and should mm-hmm. be and, and, and all that. And like it just, I, you know, I just fall in love with my wife. I fell in love with all of them, you know, mm-hmm. and it was like this just amazing time but you know i knew like this is temporary Mm -hmm. you know so um i started having you know we we ran through all the snow and i started you know kind of working out again and i began you know talking with bubba about going to tna because Mm -hmm. at this point wwe is like not calling me you know and so um bubba's like well i want you to come back to the school he was like because i i can't vouch for you and i have he says i can't vouch for you to come to a tryout when you basically i have students at my school and quite frankly if i don't have daily eyes on you you know how do i know what you're doing so i packed up again first week of may 2010 and you know and just went back down Mm -hmm. and so i just kind of traveled back and i would go down there and stay um and, you know, trained at the school, trained at the gym. And then I came home, worked on, um, I think it was the Shamrock Cup. And uh, but during that time, excuse me, I got back, you know, I got back into shape. I was like ready to go. And I was like, you know, this is it. And I called Dan. I was MCW heavyweight champion at the time. And I don't there was no plan at that point for me to necessarily lose the title. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had come to the conclusion, man, like I knew I was getting ready to have a bunch of meetings with TNA. And I was just like, if nothing comes from this, like I'm just done. You know, mm-hmm. I've got you know, this uh, amazing woman and these kids back home that like, they have their life on hold for me right now. And like, I've got to earn a living doing this or I got to like, or this just has to be it, man. I'm not going to chase this anymore. You know, once you get past all the BS and the politics and you decide like, it really should be like, I should be earning a living doing this or I should not be doing this at all. And I called Dan and I said, I'm not going to say I'm quitting the business. And, you know, because I know everyone says that and then they don't, but I feel like if this nothing pans out, I need to take a break. And, you know, I remember Dan saying to me, like, it's good that you see it that way because you're like, everyone says they're quitting, but everyone ends up back. Right. right. And, you know. Um, then did you drop the title? Yeah. So, to and then, McBride? And then, yeah, to Ryan McBride. Ryan so Ryan. we pitched, you know, I pitched it to you. It was actually me that pitched it to drop the title to Ryan in the first match. And then to, you know, ha- and then Christian York was coming back. He won the cup that night in, in the final match. And, you know, me and Ryan had, that was like my favorite match of all time to this day that me and Ryan had that night. And um and then it was uh, off to the race. Yeah, well, I'm expecting a you know I dropped the title to Ryan. I'm thinking a week and a half from now I'm having meetings with TNA. Tommy Dreamer was at that show with Ryan, and Dreamer was like, "What are you, what, what's going on with you?" He was in TNA, and he was like, "How are you not on Raw right now?" And I said, "I don't know, man." And he was like, "You know, he was like, what's your plans?'" I told him, and he's like, "You don't want to go to TNA." <laughs> that's just what he said, and he was there. And four days later, I got a call from WWE asking me if I wanted to go back to FCW, you know. And so that was that. Um, and then that's when, and that that's when you teamed with Big E. You were FCW yep, tag yeah. team champions. Yeah. So Biggie. I was I was actually there for you know for about six or seven months at that point, <laughs> and and we were kind of wallowing. And it was actually originally supposed to be me and Connor O'Brien that were the FCW tag team champions. Connor was injured, and so they you know it became Big E and. Um, <laughs> You know, me and Biggie had about a three or four month run as the FCW tag team champions. Right. And he was new. He was super like new to the business at the time. And he was, um, 
you know, he was fairly green, but he just, you just knew the dude had star all over yeah. him, man, you know. And then, so after that, then how long were you down before? So, so, so all total, I was there from September of uh, 2010 until January of 2012. And so it was, you know. Um, but when you came back the next time, it was kind of, you kind of wanted to get released because. Well, like, I, I ended up asking to be released yeah. that right. Point. You yeah. asked to be. Yeah. So basically. Because you're now what? Yeah. Like, yeah. It, it, it was it was a lot of things, man. <clears throat> you know, I was toying with my faith of like, I, you know, me, me and my wife were now married and I'm like, you know. Oh, so I, did you get married while you were in FCW? Yeah, we, we had I actually we had actually eloped. We didn't tell anybody. And then we had a wedding on our one year anniversary after I was gone from FCW and home. But it was, man, FCW was just so weird, man. Like, you know, they don't, you, you weren't getting any real feedback. You know, you would never know if and when you were going to get called up. And like, at it one wasn't point, like the system they have now. In yeah. And FCW, they were trying to keep it kayfabe and trying to keep it hush hush to not expose the talent and try to not have them everywhere. And so it was really hard getting, you know, feedback. And you would watch guys like, I remember Seth Rollins and Dean Ambrose pitched this really, really good idea, you know, to, to get called up to the main roster with that, that Joey, um, you know, Mercury helped them with. And then the office told them no. And then they took that very idea and did it with Miz and R-Truth in their thing they did with The Rock and Cena. And it just was like not, you know, it wasn't what they came up with right. because Miz and R-Truth weren't. Seth Rollins and Dean Ambrose, right, right. you know, and you you just see that happen again and again, man. And you just sort of then like, guys didn't want to pitch ideas because yeah, they didn't want to yeah. get them taken. And <laughs> yeah. And I remember saying to somebody, I was like, could you imagine this back in the day? Like if, you know, they'd have told Steve Austin, like, man, we really like this Stone Cold idea, but just not for you. And then <laughs> yeah. they tried to make, you know, Stone Cold Billy Gunn. You yeah, know what, yeah. you know yeah. what I mean? Like, it was just that, that was, and, and then it was just also weird because the business had changed so much that like everybody was in trunks all the time for no reason. You would turn on Monday Night Raw and guys that weren't even on the show were backstage in their trunks just in the locker room. Like it was like this thing that everyone had to be in trunks. There were no singlets. There were no long tights. There were no jeans or like no characters and it was just you know i just began you know to to just really at that point i think i was 31 and i'm like man i've got i would come home to visit my wife and my sons for like you know a couple days at a time once a month and then she would come down there and you know i, I was i was growing in my faith at the time and i'm like man i have a i have this like family back home and you know they're they won't give you a clear answer down there you know i can look mm -hmm. back now and know and i don't say this out of any kind of arrogance i was a made man it was just a matter of time but because they're not giving you that feedback nowhere in like corporate america or anywhere are you not being given some sort right. of feedback mm -hmm. that's like <clears throat> basic leadership you know mm -hmm. and so I'm getting no feedback and I'm like, man, I'm just, I'm just done. You know, I'm just like, I'm tired of this. And so I wrestled with it for a while. And, you know, to this day, Steve Kern was like my, you know, biggest mentor down there wrestling wise and, um, you know, sort of spiritually. And I, ta I was talking with Shad quite a bit about this back then, you know, and he, you know, he wanted me to stay, but he was gone himself too. He had left himself and, right. you know, so he understood it. And, it was just one of those like, you know, it's t it's time to go. I'm going to ask to be released. And um, I sort of we, we did promo practices on Wednesday down there and Bret Hart was there. 
and I kind of knew, you know, Rollins was in, Seth Rollins was in this like weird place down there too, where he was having his own deal. So I went on, you know, we, we would, the way it would work, we would take TV on Thursdays for three weeks. You would take three weeks worth of TV. Then you do two house shows. Then you tape again. Well, we were getting ready to do a, a house show the next night. So I know I'm going to go into promo practice on Wednesday. I'm going to cut a promo on Rollins and he and I are going to work tomorrow night. And, um, and, and then, you know, I'm probably going to ask to be released the, <laughs> the next day. And, um, you know, me and Rollins worked this match and it was weird, man, because we got to talking and he was so, you know, everybody's in their own zone because the business just wasn't, you know, you know, the business is right. I, I, I sell for you, you sell for me, everyone gets over. So we, we go to, uh, you know, we, um, we go to work and it's like, but you're, you're being drilled in, get yourself over, get yourself over, get yourself over, you know, that kind of thing being harped into you in certain ways, more from the guys than from the coaches, you know, but it just was what it was. And, um, and so I start talking the match over with Rollins and I could see he feels hesitant, but then like I start, you know, getting ideas that are like to take his stuff. And he's like, and then he just immediately realizes like what he's got. And we put this match together and um, this one was non-televised. I have a DVD of it at home. Maybe I should put it on YouTube. We got it up there. No, that's a, it, oh, that's that's a, a different, different match. One? That one's oh. from like eight months prior. Oh, okay. <clears throat> yeah. But it's still, those are some good pictures. <laughs> um, <laughs> I had, yeah, we, we had this match. It was in front of like 30 people, but it was like this amazing match that we like walked in the back and the boys clapped for it, you know, and Bret Hart was there. And the next morning in FCW, I know I have a phone appointment with, John Laurinaitis in the afternoon um, that I'm going to talk to him and 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 I guess I you know I forgot to say this too that match with Seth, Seth Rollins I blew my shoulder out you know and I knew like mm. crap because my intention at that point in time was I'm gonna come home to Baltimore I'm gonna let the dust settle you know Ring of Honor had just moved to Baltimore me and 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 someone there had talked and I was like maybe we'll have a conversation you know right. and go from there so I blow my shoulder out we I go into FCW the next morning. Bret Hart is like there with the, just with the guys that work the show and he's like critiquing the matches and he literally like he's pausing them, giving advice the whole nine. Mm -hmm. He doesn't stop me and Rollins match once. And then at the end of it, he stands up and he says, where are those two guys? And we're like, we stand up and he was like, those two are ready for the main roster. He was like, I have nothing for you guys. And he was like, all you guys here should be just trying to do what they're doing. Wow. And I wow. was like, man, like I was like. <laughs> I was like, I was like, you're like, whoa. And then I'm thinking, you know, then there's a cynical side of me that's like, he might have a plane to catch. Because we were like the semi-main event. I was like, he might have a plane to catch, you know. And, uh, Are you that, like doubting like that, what you're yeah, about Yeah, I'm like, Bret Hart yeah. didn't really just say that to us and mean it. And so he, he takes the main event, was a six-man tag. And he, man, it was, the match was 15 minutes. And he spent 45 <coughs> minutes critiquing it. And then, like, afterwards, he stood by and answered questions with us for another hour and a half. And he was, like, the last one to leave the building that day. <laughs> right. So I knew, like, it was solid. Was mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And then, you know, I had my phone call with, with John Laurinaitis about an hour after I left. And it was one of those things of, like, you know, I know what I, what I got right now. And, um, you know, and... Uh, we get on the phone with John and he's kind of giving me what I felt at the time was maybe some political runaround of like, you know, dodging what our conversation was supposed to be about, which was a timeline to go on the road, to be out of FCW, to get mm -hmm. a pay raise, the whole nine. Um, I just didn't like what he, you know, what he was saying to me. And I wound up asking him to release me. 
And, you know, he, he, when I said that, he was like, what did you just say? And I told him, and he was like, I, I think you need to rethink that. And I was, as soon as he said that, I was like, I felt like I knew my worth. And mm-hmm. I was like, no, I, I want you to release me. And I said, and at that point in time, you know, I had no idea. I say I blew my shoulder on that match. I didn't know I fully blew it out. I, I knew it was hurt, but I was like, you know, I hurt my shoulder last night. I need to, you know, uh, and he said, well, the trainer already told me about that basically. And so, um, they, he agreed to release me from my contract and they, um, you know, they sent me to the doctors and it wound up being that I had a nine month surgery and recovery process ahead of me. And they took care of it. Yeah. They took care of the mm-hmm. surgery, hundred percent took care of the surgery, flew me to Alabama, still treated me like, you know, I, mm-hmm. I was great. Um, paid me throughout the whole process. They paid me my same salary I was making down in FCW yeah. while I was like going through the process. And they even had to extend it because, um, the original timeline that it was on was not, you know, it didn't, um, it, 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 it expired, you know, it was expired. And so, but I was still rehabbing. And so they gave me an extra month of pay. And then as I was finishing, you know, at that point in time, I came home and, you know, just bonded with my family and it mm-hmm. just, it was a rich, rich time. I guess we like double what we're, <laughs> what we're supposed to be. That's two sags. Well, we um, cut some things out. Yeah. We're fine. We're fine. So. <laughs> It just, it just sort of, I sort of settled into getting a job and having Mm -hmm. my wedding and Mm -hmm. just, you know, my life was full, man. And it was like, you know, I realized it wasn't that I didn't love the business. It was like, I've always loved the business. But now you're back here again. So like you've literally come Come full full circle. circle. We've gone on quite a journey with you tonight, but now you're, you know, you're back here again when MCW reopened in 2014. 2014. Yeah. You were on board as one of the coaches. Yeah. 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 So, you know, when we we opened the school in, in 2014 and you know, the, the model that we set forth with the school, like Dan Dennis and I is still standing now. I think it's why right. MCW yep. held up during the pandemic. <clears> you know? you pretty much uh, kind of laid it out, pretty much laid yeah. out the plan because you, that was the agreement and me bringing yeah. it back to school. Yeah, that yeah I was I like, was, <laughs> I'm not doing that. I'm not coming yeah. down here. Well, we, we laid out, a, you know, a plan for how to train, even from a business model standpoint. I had seen things Bubba and Devon mm-hmm. did from a business standpoint. I saw stuff Steve Kern did with FCW. And, you know, I shared that with Dan and Dennis. And we were like, yeah, this makes sense You're for the us, reason we you know. have a binder for training. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. I know. So, with actual yeah. training things. It's yep. not just show up and get in the ring and do whatever. Right. Like yeah, we, we, have, we have a curriculum. We have a system. Yeah. yeah. Actually, Dr. Tom Pritchard emailed, um, not emailed, he mailed me a copy of his book he wrote from the way he ran the developmental ah. curriculum. And we took it right from that, yeah. you know, and then we've done, you know, other things with it over mm-hmm. the years, man. And so it was, but, you know, I was here for those first, I think, six months that the school was open. And, um, you know, and then it was the same thing. It just became too much with my personal life mm-hmm. and my my home life. And so we kind of like passed the baton to RJ to to just take my place on the night I was training guys. And he just came in, man, and like hit the ground running. And mm-hmm. you know, just just well, that was his just, whole comeback yeah, year too. Yeah. You know, yeah. twenty fourteen really was when he just right. Right. And and yeah. he ran, you know, he did. He ran with it. And I tried to still come around and stay. I did, a, you know, I worked a couple shows in 2015 and um and it just it wasn't in the cards. And I remember telling Dan, I'm like, dude, I can't. I will never be a guy that just shows up to a show and takes a spot from a young guy. You know, and that was my thing was I wasn't training in the ring. I was training in the gym a little bit. And I was like, I got to, you know, kind of got to step, step away. away. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, we found ourselves. 
you know, the end of last year, you know, and talking with, um, you know, talking with, with, with Dean Tyler that, you know, there's a huge void here because RJ's not been here for mm -hmm. a long time now. And, you know, I had had some things happen in my own personal life work-wise that I actually had the time in my schedule a little bit. And I was like, all right, let's do this. And the business bites you. I can't, you know, I came down the first night and it was like, man, it's like riding a bike and you, know, <laughs> you just yeah. realize how much you miss it. And so, yeah, I've been trying to help out with the school and you know when we get back up and running shows i'm hoping mm -hmm. to you know kind of help out behind the scenes there and mm -hmm. dip, just keep dipping my toes in the water and see how how things go well you can't leave which is a testament yeah. to all of us because we're all sitting here each of us with 20 plus years yeah, with yeah. mcw yeah. so it's clear yeah. that we can't leave yeah you know yeah. i i said this too you know back when rj passed away and and you know i've, I've thought about this a lot lately is that man no matter how far away you go from the business like the people in the business really are they do become like your family and your best friends and things mm -hmm. like that and you can go years without talking and seeing one another and it's just because you all get each other because you've shared in a sacrifice and a pursuit and a grind and a struggle mm -hmm. you know that a lot of people can't relate to and in in the last nine years I've been not as active in the business. I've met so many great people in life that like people I used to look down on that I realized just they kind of got a bad break and they never, you know, it wasn't that they couldn't have chased this and pursued it, but they just didn't. So it's not that that person isn't an incredible human being, a hard worker, you know, inspired, motivated and driven, but they just can't relate to you in a way that, mm -hmm. you, you know what I mean? You're, you're people from the business. Well, yeah. yep. all right, well, we're going to take one last oh, break. Okay. <laughs> no break. We were going on a roll. That's why I said we cut some things out. The break was the thing we cut out. All right. <laughs> we were on a roll. I didn't want to interrupt. But, right. yeah, if you want to take No station home. identification. No station no, identification. Well, that was home. about a good 45 straight minutes. So <laughs> I guess now we're going to go to our indie roundup, huh? Well, I, am, I am so sorry that I'm off topic here. Oh, so okay. what's, why don't you lead us into the next segment, please, Tara? No, I thought that we were just going to tell our, our listeners. Oh, we, you were going to wrap Goodbye. Up. Yeah. <laughs> we are. We have. Uh, yeah. Okay. It's okay. <laughs> we appreciate that you want to keep talking. No Indy no. Roundup this week. I'm sorry. We don't oh, no, 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 no. I just thought that there were a few topics that were going on in the oh, well, that what we did were going to kind of do a, like a, a roundtable about um, to kind of close it out. But before we went to that, yeah, I thought we were going to go to one more break. Well, this is all here. We're live. We just blew. Uh, we're live, pal. Right. We're live. Yeah. We're live, pal. We're live, Sid. Uh, yeah. <laughs> One of the topics that we were going to touch on very quickly at the end, we usually do, we either take questions from the cast yeah. or we touch on a couple of current events. And that was um, recent releases. And that's mm. very timely. You know, you were talking about your history and your, you know, being released, asking for your release. This is, you know, this cyclical nature of mm -hmm. this business is that releases come and sometimes those come to people that you don't expect. And recently, you know, we've seen a lot of releases um, and there's probably more on the horizon. Yeah, and that just kind of happens at this time of year. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, it's you know, part of the course. Well, it's not it's the end, just the... Yeah, and we talked yeah. about that a couple weeks ago, and, the post-WrestleMania releases. Right, and like you even know. last year, the COVID ones, I mean, yeah. honestly, for us like an indie, I think this is... We need that to happen. Um, and I mean, granted, the, the, the business has been shut down for a year because of COVID, but um, from an independent standpoint, you need some guys with TV time that have been up there to be new names like the Zack Riders and stuff like that mm -hmm. that can main event um, indie shows because as an indie organization and you got like three major companies that contract people, Ring of Honor, AEW, and WWE, 
sometimes all the the talent gets impact in the nwa is still like there's still ways to earn a living in the Mm -hmm. business and you know that was a thing like you know nine ten years ago man if you got cut like that was it you could try to get into tna but tna was harder to get into than the wwe back then and so they got all these options to work and don't discount the indies i really think the indies are thriving i think the indies i really believe the indies are going to thrive even more in this next year coming up um because most many of the major companies um are either are they're not going to be doing house shows they're they are going to some of them are going to be torn again but some of them aren't um and they might only be torn in certain areas and then for us the baltimore arena which is the big place for like aew or wwe to run is going to is apparently closing for two years closing for two yeah. years for complete renovation so about for time. a company it's like about time for I that, mean, yeah. Yeah. yeah whatever happened to the idea of just putting another stadium down there near camden yards and raven stadium like why wasn't that the plan like what uh, hey i remember I, I, it, it, it's money money and politics just baltimore like everything arena. else of course money yeah. and politics oh. i remember a couple years ago ed hale was trying to build in like Canton, a yeah. new arena, mm-hmm. and it was all money and politics that just yeah. couldn't get it done. So. They were gonna. He wanted to build a new arena and then tear that one down. Yeah, but here well, we are. All so. right, <laughs> I have one that I wanted to bring up on last week's indie roundup, but for whatever reason, Phil didn't fill us in about this. So, um, in a bit of sad news on, in the world of the independence, and it kind of affects us here. IWA Mid South has officially lost the Axel Rotten Memorial Hall. Which was an old Kmart that they named in honor <coughs> of Axel after the wrestler. And did anyone see this? J.J. Allen did a stunt where he lit himself on fire, in particular right in between his legs, and then he took a weed whacker. No, um, I didn't see that. Okay, yeah. So it's yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm going to pass yeah, on I, I, that I, one. Well, he, I have zero interest in seeing that. Too. Well, and well, now everyone has zero interest in ever seeing IWA Mid South in well, the b- building they dedicated to Axel's I mean, memory. So, kinda, if that's the kind of they stuff kicked you're going to put the on, then yeah, they, the, the, yeah, it's over now. He okay. burnt up, burnt himself up and burnt down Axel's legacy. <laughs> so yeah. I wanted to mention it. Wow. On that <laughs> note, on that <laughs> note, I wanted to mention it because I thought, uh, wow, you know, I do a lot of these hardcore shows. Shows, but never any kind of stunts like that where yeah. well the guy caught on fire and he ran right into the crowd oh, he caught, so yeah that's one of the reasons I'm surprised you didn't see this no. now, we were going to bring it up last week but he, he got set on fire and it was a, a ga- uh, you know lighter lighter fluid and they couldn't put him out he stopped dropped and roll and he just kept burning and burning and then he started panicking and went right into the crowd and that's uh that's why they lost the building mm. so well, on um, that note we need to put out this episode I think <laughs> so right. too yes yeah, stamp it out <laughs> Pat, it was a pleasure having you. Great being here. Thank you, guys. All right. We're wrapping up. We'll see you next week for episode 21. Next Tuesday at 8. We'll be right here. And next Tuesday might be a time real quick. We might have the announcement on the first MCW show coming back. Hopefully, by the time we get here next week, we'll have a date. We're going to hold it to it. All right. All right. See you.